Blog Talk Radio. Ten years ago, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire... Love the 4th of July, love the 4th of July. I do it up, please, on the 4th of July. Love the 4th of July, love the 4th of July. Not the fireworks, got me tipping hard.
constantly blowing off fingers with fireworks. <laughs> He's down to seven. We're more likely seven doing Seven fingers nothing. left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start using my toes next year like a monkey. Hey, that would be pretty good. Yeah, I don't have big plans either. I don't think, uh, yeah, that's shocking. Yeah. Might go to my uncle's you... house on the actual 4th, but that's about it. Oh, there you go. They're, uh, <laughs> one of the jank family cult events that you all get together, you and your 30 cousins. <laughs> you all get your Sadly, uncle. I don't think really anyone's going. I think my parents will be there and my sister, and that's oh. about it. <laughs> well, that's good. Go see the family. Yeah. Um, that's something, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I'm doing anything. I shot hockey today. Shot hockey four out of five days this week. That's uh, pretty Ooh. good. Yeah. How, how's, the boxing going? how's the boxing going? Oh, it's good. I still, I still really like it. Um, <laughs> you know what's fun? I've, I've realized is uh, in certain levels, it's kind of based off of the story. Uh, like you'll have Rocky in your corner, like old man Rocky is, you know, cheering you on because you're supposed to be playing as, you know, Creed, <laughs> Donna's Creed, but. Uh, so one time I was playing, I accidentally picked that level that you have Rocky in your corner. I was playing as Ivan Drago, and I'm fighting Apollo Creed. <laughs> and Rocky's oh. in there cheering me on. <laughs> that's pretty I'm good. Like, oh, that's yeah. weird. <laughs> Did you kill Apollo He's Creed? Me to bash his face in. <laughs> nope. No, they don't have that option, sadly. It's not like press you know, quickly to finish yeah. him. You'd be like really that. good. <laughs> yeah, you should murder him if you do really good. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. Press A for uh, if he dies, he dies. Uh, what what else is going on this week? Um, well, did you watch anything else this week, Jank? Uh, I did watch some other stuff. Um, I guess the first thing I watched, so I finally tried to watch Inland Empire. Well, I guess I, I, guess I successfully watched Inland Empire this time. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, Inland Empire is the most recent uh, David Lynch film, uh, which is not very recent. I want to say it was like 2006, something like that. Um, But it was the last time he actually made like a feature film. Um, And it's it's pretty impenetrable. (laughs) It's hard (laughs) to track down, but Larry had gotten me a copy from like some Chinese Walmart or something a couple years ago. And uh, (laughs) I was going to throw it on one day. And uh, so I did after I got it, and I was like, all right, let's, let's check this out. And I made it about half hour, and I was just like, oh, my God, how long is this thing? Three hours? This is going to be rough. <laughs> so I kind of bailed. But I was like, this week, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch this thing. And it took me a couple of tries, but I did finally make it through the entire thing. That's always um, a good sign it's for a definitely, movie. It takes several yeah. tries to get through. Pretty impenetrable. Um, I mean, obviously, David Lynch is a little out there all the time. Um, not exactly linear with his thinking, but uh, this one in particular, like, it's shot on digital, which is basically just he had a Sony Handycam, like, that he was using. So it looks pretty shitty. Um, it just basically looks oh. like you're shooting with, you know, a home camcorder. Uh, there was no script. It was basically all just David Lynch would get an idea, and then he'd write it down, and then they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the best. <laughs> it's uh, I don't even know what the hell this movie is really about. It has something to do with infidelity, and there's like uh, Laura Dern basically plays an actress 
who is starring <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yeah. She, she loves always, Laura Dern. I know. <laughs> um, so she's playing an actress who's starring in this movie that apparently they thought was a, an original movie, but it's actually based on some Polish or yeah, some Polish movie that never got finished, which was actually based on a German folktale or something like that. And uh, they think it's kind of cursed now. And basically, it's about her having an affair with this other guy, but then her and the actor. You know, playing the guy she's having the affair with start having an affair in their actual lives, I think. <laughs> you think? Yeah. It's so hard to tell because it, like, keeps jumping from story to story, and, like, you can't really tell. I think it's not even in chronological order, so you're like, I don't know which version of the story I'm watching here, let alone what order this shit's in. Because uh, also, they're also intercutting a bunch of other things, like there's these, like a sitcom starring a bunch of bunny people, <laughs> like they have bunny heads <laughs> with like people bodies, <laughs> and they just kind of talk in like non sequiturs, and this is kind of intercut in there, and there's some other story about this like prostitute who's watching this and crying. <laughs> That's a good story. Like, what the fuck it's is a prostitute crying. That's my subplot for this film. The prostitute crying. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, at some point, like like she come, uh, Laura Dern's character comes out of like the movie and kisses the prostitute, and they like merge. So it's like I guess <laughs> they were the same person all along. I don't know. <laughs> that is such a David Lynch thing. <laughs> she comes. It off, really was. Kisses the prostitute <laughs> and they merge. <laughs> That's so hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's so, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I'll be sure to avoid that. Not the that easiest to get also. through. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, awesome. So I think now that I've gotten that out of the way, I think I need to finish up the the rest of the David Lynch catalog. So I'm going to try to do that, uh, at least you know, start on that this week. Yeah. Um, what else do you have to I imagine watch? it'll be easier because the ones I have to watch, I don't think are very David Lynchian. Um, like I have to watch Elephant Man, which I think is pretty Yikes. much a normal-ish movie. <laughs> Yeah, I'll pass on that one. I Except for it being that. about an elephant man. Uh, uh, the Straight Story, got to watch that. The guy riding the lawnmower across the United States? Is that what that was? <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't even, I didn't even realize he did that movie. All right, yeah, how about that? Yeah. I think that was him trying to show he could make a movie that's just kind of straightforward and yeah. <laughs> not, not crazy. Um, and then I got to watch Dune, which I know he doesn't even like to recognize yeah. that he made <laughs> He's pretty much uh, disavowed that one, so. Yeah. So, all right. Well, there you go. David Lynch. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, it's been 10 minutes. Uh, Cousin Brandon's not here. He's not showing up. Right, so. Oh, man. I know. Well, son of a bitch. I told him I, I might <laughs> even watch uh, The Twilight Zone this summer because he loves The Twilight Zone. And he said, yeah, you got to start watching The Twilight Zone. And I said, well, that might depend on whether you show up tomorrow. And... <laughs> Guess he doesn't want me to watch the Twilight Zone. He though. got his answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, screw it. Right. Now you're watching the Outer Limits. <laughs> That's fine by Take me. that, Brandon. Although I did find <laughs> out that uh, Peter Falk was on an episode of the Twilight Zone. So. Ooh. I need to see that one. To... Yeah, it was on his IMDb there, Twilight Zone. So I'm like, oh, holy hell. Might have to go wow. uh, check that out. All right, so we're going to do our turn combo right now. And we're going to take our time, and this is going to be glorious. All right? All right. It's going to be awesome. And then uh, after that, we're going to look at Falk's uh, movie career with uh, The Cheap Detective, uh, to be <laughs> special. 
the Chief Detective. Yeah. And we'll discuss that written by Neil Simon, and, yeah, we'll get into all that. And then we'll wrap it up. Uh, but we do have uh, – I have two uh, top 11 lists. Uh, the second one – we're going to talk about the episodes. Uh, the second one, I have top 11 Columbo ladies. We'll do that at the end, the ladies at Columbo. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. last week – so it's a good thing that we had the technical problems last week, Jenk, because it gave me extra time because I had ordered a Columbo book called the Columbo File, a case book. And that's File, P-H-I-L-E, like a lover of Columbo File, that kind of thing. And so <laughs> yeah, I read that file. last weekend. And uh, that, that book is written by Mark uh, Dewidziak. And it's kind of like, uh, it, I think it was first published in 1989. So it was like the Columbo Bible. It was the first book ever published about the Columbo series. So it's a good book. I would recommend it for uh, if anyone's interested in it. It doesn't go as in-depth as I would like about the episodes. But it's still a good book. Oh, so then okay. I, I still, but I they still do at least talk a little bit about each episode? Yeah, all, the point. original seven uh, seasons, they, they go into each. He gives you the recap of the episode. Then he gives you some backstory on each episode. Uh, but it's usually like maybe a page of backstory, uh, a little bit of cool info, but not as in-depth as I would like. Uh, then, uh, of course, you've got to remember this is 1989 when this was published, so it's not like he had access to the Internet or anything. You know, He was uh, doing all this yeah. research on his own. Uh, then uh, the second book I read was something called uh, Columbo Under Glass by Sheldon Katz. And it says this is a critical examination of a Columbo and all the... This book is okay for, like, uh, the clues and stuff. Like, he breaks down all the clues, um, examines, like, hmm. the structure of uh, maybe the stories. But in terms of this author and his love of Columbo, I don't think he loves Columbo. He says he does. I don't think he does. <laughs> he shits on the show pretty bad. And... Uh, oh, like, no. <laughs> he loves he loves like the really good episodes, but then he's but it, those account for maybe six. And then the other episodes he doesn't like. Really, <laughs> but like all you need he's to know about this guy, on this, yeah. like his favorite episode is by Dawn's Early Light, which is that military academy episode. That's that's a very solid, sure. that's strong that's episode. But you know, that's, yeah, no complaints there. But his number two favorite episode of all time, and he gives a nine point seven out of ten. Columbo cries wolf. From the newer. Oh no! I know. So that's yeah, like this guy's just an idiot. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> <That> is, no. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't know no. what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like that, this like, whole broke book, format. I was angry. I was angry <laughs> reading this book. Like he shit on anything. Like anytime Columbo like did anything for humor or comedy, he like oh this was a, he hated it. Like he just cared about the clues oh. and whether they were good and logical. But I don't remember the clues in Columbo Cries Wolf being all that great either. That's that show no. that episode pretty much stunk. It was we'll get into yeah. it later. But, he basically uh, I think just yeah. They've ended up finding her because she he put her in the wall with her beeper still on. Yeah. One of a kind Columbo beeper that they <laughs> only yeah. them had. Yeah, what a what a solve that was. Yeah. And then uh the, <laughs> so then I was unhappy about that, so I'm like, there's got to be another good Columbo book out there. So then the other night I found uh, Shooting Columbo by David Koenig. And now this, this mm. is where you want to be if you're a Columbo fan. This book is great. I got it on uh, Audible right. as a download, and it was uh, free because they give you like three or something if you sign up. So I, uh, I played it last night, and I just played it two times at the normal speed, so I plowed through it pretty quick. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, this is great. This goes into all, every episode. And it goes real in-depth, like, more in-depth than the other, uh, the first book, The Columbo File. And he, like, keeps his opinions out of it. Like, he just tells you what happened, bang, bang, bang. He doesn't, like, shit on the episode. He doesn't say, he just, bang, goes right into the episode. <laughs> so it was really great. 
uh, highly recommend Shooting Columbo by David Koenig. This is the best Columbo book out there. Go read okay. it. Yeah, because I tell you what, after I read those first two, I was like, man, I might need to write a Columbo book. You know, I might need to do a Columbo <laughs> yeah. book. This is, uh, but this Shooting Columbo is really, it's pretty good here. This one, this is what you want. So, Shooting Columbo by David <laughs> Koenig. Everyone should go read that. All right. Uh, I wonder so how I long until Columbo's in the uh, the public domain, and you can just start writing your own Columbo novel. <laughs> I think it's like 100 years, right? <laughs> Isn't it 99 years? Or yeah. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Probably uh, a little uh, while. There are Columbo novels out there. Like, they have... They need to give the licensing to somebody to write books. And then uh, William Link, one of the creators, did some Columbo stories as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, so I read the three books in the past week, so I know a lot about fucking Columbo right now, right? So we're really going <laughs> yeah. to do it. That's why we have to do this, whether Brandon's here or not. You'll <laughs> yeah. never be more knowledgeable than you are no. right now. Yes, we have to do it this week. Uh, also, uh, last week we were going to do the top 11 uh, Columbo episodes, my favorite Columbo episodes. But uh, this week we're going to do uh, top 69 Columbo episodes. I ranked every Columbo episode. <laughs> we're going to go through... <laughs> Oh we're my gonna God! Go we're gonna go through every <laughs> All right. episode of Columbo. We're gonna hit four hours tonight. I told Tuffy <laughs> last night. I recorded uh, Flea Market Fantasy with Tuffy and Mike Allen. I said, "Hey Tuffy, I'm, uh, you know, tomorrow we're gonna do top 43, the 43 original Columbo episodes." And he was aghast. He was shocked. But then the, after we got <laughs> off the phone with him, I'm like, "Wait a minute. Why am I just doing the four? I don't like the newer episodes." But I mean, how many Columbo tributes are we gonna do? We might as well rank them all. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rank them all. <laughs> All 69 episodes of Columbo right here tonight <laughs> on this year radio show. I feel like somewhere Tuffy is just on Amazon ordering a stool and a rope. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tuffy, while you're there, get Shooting Columbo by David Koenig. It's really good. <laughs> you can read it while you're hanging. <laughs> so. All right. Hey, maybe we'll try to get David Koenig on the show. That'd be something. I mean, maybe that yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Out. Yeah, because he had, like, access to the original scripts and everything. So he could tell, like, uh, when scenes got changed or rewritten and everything. So he's breaking it down. And um, I'll share some of the info I learned as we go through these episodes. But, yeah, it's pretty impressive. (laughs) Okay. We'll also have audio clips. I'm very excited. To the the, the end of the top 69. but first, we should start off with some backstory on Columbo. We like to set the stage, make sure everyone knows what the fuck we're talking about, you know. So, uh, hey, did you know uh, <laughs> Peter Falk? I just realized this. He's not. He's not even an Italian. He's Jewish. His family's not Italian. Really? Yeah. His family comes from Poland. Huh. There's no Italian in him at all. <laughs> that was <laughs> that. my mind. I know. <laughs> I had no idea. I just assumed. Yeah, I, just, I, I was watching him on uh, the YouTube like today on uh, doing like a Frank Sinatra roast. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's definitely Italian, but no, nope. apparently not. not yeah, we'll, we'll get into Peter Falk here in a minute. Uh, so Columbo was created by Richard Levinson uh, and uh, William Link, and uh, these Levinson and Link, these fellows, they were buddies in junior high. They grew up outside of Philadelphia, so they they were pals in junior high. They love mystery shows, and uh, like on the radio and whatnot, the old-time radio mystery shows and mystery novels. They became chums, and then they just became writing partners. They, they collaborated for like 43 years. That's, uh, that's longer than Brandon's collaboration with Booze. That's how long <laughs> these guys were together. <laughs> but that's pretty great. I had no idea they Not were. Not quite uh, as successful, though. 
A collaboration. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I had no idea they were like childhood uh, chums, and they, that's pretty great. That's pretty and, cool. Uh, they all, they, you know what I like even more now is thinking about the first episode of the show where like it was about two yep. writing partners who like one decides yep. to go out on his own and the other one murders him. Yeah, and like Seems they didn't like, even uh, have that, that working out their gave problems. them that idea. They didn't even come up that on their own. Someone told them, "Hey, why don't you do it about a writing team?" And they said, "Oh, all right, yeah." So uh, the whole time they were making that episode, uh, the cast and crew were joking like, "All right, which one's which? You know, which one's the murderer?" <laughs> yeah. But uh, they uh, they created a bunch of other shows and stuff. They uh, they created Mannix. You ever hear of Mannix? Oh, sure. And, and they also name. created a Never little something it. called uh, Murder She Wrote. Oh, right here. Yeah, so killing it in the murder we'll, genre. Maybe we'll do a murder she wrote tribute at some point. <laughs> but uh, you know why I like these guys? The character of Columbo was inspired by uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Uh, uh, Porfiry Petrovich. Did you ever read Crime and Punishment? The uh, the cop in there, Petrovich. Because he, cause he I feel like that book is the uh, the Inland Empire of novels. No, no, no. <laughs> I love Super long. Lord help me. I, Hard to get I love Dostoevsky. <laughs> but I, uh, he's my favorite of uh, the uh, the writers there. You know that Dostoevsky guy. And uh, I haven't read this in the 20 years. But uh, yeah, Columbo was uh, very similar to the Petrovich because he would come in, he'd be all nice and uh, courteous and polite, and then he would just grind on the suspects. He would just you know try and wear them down by always popping mm. up and asking questions and stuff. Um, so that yep, and he was also. He was also inspired by J.K. Chesterton's uh, humble cleric detective, Father Brown. I also love Father Brown. In fact, One Nine Books still might put out a Father Brown collection because Father Brown is in the public domain. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, I was yeah. working on it, and I put it aside for the past, oh, two, three years. Uh, but maybe I'll do that now because of the Columbo tie-in. Because I had no idea they liked Father Brown as well. Uh, I love Father Brown. I guess you never read any Father Brown. No, is it like a similar thing to that, like Father Dowling mysteries? <laughs> no, 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 no. Mr. Cunningham was in. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a little uh, English uh, uh, priest who always gets uh, roped into these uh, murder investigations and crime investigations and stuff. But he always just pops up, and a lot of times you don't even, uh, you don't, like the way uh, Chesterton writes it, he doesn't even like um, lead off with him, so he'll just pop up into the story and he'll describe it's, it's great. And the thing about uh, Father Brown, it's not like he's a scientific wizard or he's a deductive genius or anything. He knows the souls of man, you know, because he, he studies the spirituality. <laughs> and uh, So that's how he cracks the nut. He's by like knowing, uh, yeah, well, Get him with a penance anyway. there. No, but he just knows human nature, and uh, he comes at it from a spiritual side instead of a scientific side. So, uh, yeah, I love Father Brown. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, look for One Nine Books. Maybe we'll release that collection here coming up. Um, nice. So the Columbo character first appeared in the 1960 anthology series, The Chevy Mystery Show. The episode was called Enough Rope, and actor Brett Freed played Columbo. Yeah, Brett Ooh. Freed is the first guy to ever play Columbo. He wore a rumpled like suit, that. And, he, and he smoked a cigar, but otherwise he had no similarities to Peter Falk's version. That was it. Um so then in 1962, Levison and Link, uh, they uh, adapted the TV show to a stage play called Prescription Murder. I bet you know that name. Sounds familiar. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's the same name in the first Columbo movie. But, uh, yeah, so they did a stage play called Prescription Murder, and Oscar winner Thomas Mitchell played Columbo. Uh, and uh, Joseph Cotton was the killer, 
and Agnes Moorhead was the victim. Uh, Joseph Cotton, you know oh, Joseph shit. Cotton, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, Citizen Kane, Joseph Cotton, Citizen Kane, he's also the third man with Orson Welles. Uh, nothing? Oh. You're supposed to be a, a, a cinema expert here, Jank. <laughs> supposed to know Joseph Cotton, uh, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's a little, a little before my time. I saw Citizen Kane once, probably 15 years ago. <laughs> You've never seen The Third Man, Orson Welles? No. Oh, that's one of the greatest movies ever made. you got to watch uh, The Third Man. All right, so, yeah, uh, that's just gone. Of course, Agnes Moorhead, uh, she was also in Citizen Kane. Yeah. And she, they were both part of uh, Orson Welles' Mercury Players, that little uh, radio show they were doing back in the day, you know. So, uh, But Agnes Moorhead is most famous for being... Uh, Bewitched. Uh, yeah, her mom on Bewitched and Dora. Yeah, with the uh, crazy eyebrows. Now, Thomas Mitchell, the fellow who played Columbo, do you know who that is? Because I didn't recognize the name, but uh, yeah, this guy's very famous. Nope. He was in a bunch of movies in the 30s and 40s and stuff. Uh, most famously, in 1939, he was like uh, in five amazing films. Like He was the father of Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. Uh, but what I know him, played Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful Life. You remember oh, shit. Yeah. That guy with the glasses. I can kind of see that. Yeah, you kind of yeah, like Yeah, uh, I can kind of see him playing Columbo. Yeah, yeah Uncle Billy. Kind uh, of befuddled. Also, oddly enough, um, Thomas Mitchell was in a movie called Pocket Full of Miracles that starred Betty Davis, and uh, I can't remember who else. But uh, in that movie, there's also a fellow named Peter Falk. So Thomas Mitchell... And Peter Falk were both in Pocket Full of Miracles years before either one played Columbo, and then they ended up both playing Columbo. <laughs> that, that blew my mind. That is weird. Uh, yeah. Small world. So the play was uh, did well. It started out in San Francisco, and uh, it was getting good reviews, but uh, Levinson and Link didn't like it because they knew the third act wasn't as strong as it should have been, and they wanted to make changes. But uh, Joseph Cotton, Agnes Moorhead, and Thomas Mitchell, they're old-school Hollywood veterans, and they did not like writers. And they said, nah, don't worry about it. You don't, you don't make any <laughs> fucking changes. We're just going to do what we're going to do. And uh, like the, cause they like give the play to a, comp- a production company, and then they put it on. So the company was saying, no, nah, no, nah, we're not changing anything. So then they wanted to take it to Broadway. It was doing so well. But Levinson and Link said, no, 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 you're not taking it to Broadway. So they filed like a court injunction against them, and there's a big legal thing about it. And uh, Thomas Mitchell, during the run, he ended up getting cancer, and he had to stop because he was like seventy some years old when, at the time he was doing this. Damn. And uh, he had to, he had to step away from the play. His understudy finished the run, and then Thomas Mitchell ended up dying. So uh, like four months later or something. So they just scrapped all plans to go forward with the play, and then so Levinson and Link were like, "All right, no one's seeing this again until we fix it up because we want to rewrite it a bit." So that's sure. what they did in 1968 for prescription murder and this was a tv movie for nbc and the writers they suggested actor lee j cobb to play columbo uh i don't know if you remember that name jank but he was like the angry guy in 12 angry men he was the guy who was oh okay he was the angriest (laughs) of the 12 angry men (laughs) that's that's a joke Uh, oh uh, there's a cheers joke woody says uh his uh you know he's always in community theater and stuff and he said, yeah, we're putting on a production of uh, Six Angry Men. And they're like, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but we have, we're, since there's only six of us, we have to be like twice as angry. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's Lee J. Cobb, but he, couldn't, he wasn't available. He couldn't do it. So then the writers suggested Bing Crosby 
That's right, Bing Crosby. Hmm. Interesting yeah. choice. <laughs> it's a little weird. Uh, but so they gave the script to Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby loved it, but uh, he turned it down because he didn't want it to interfere with his golf game. He liked playing golf <laughs> Bing Crosby. So that's the only reason. That's the only reason we did not get Bing Crosby as Columbo, because he didn't want to give up golfing as much. <laughs> so well, then beating his children with a sack of oranges so it wouldn't need bruises. <laughs> oh, that's not good. So then uh, director Richard Irving... He, uh, he convinced Levinson and Link. He said, hey, uh, I know a guy, Peter Falk. You should give Peter Falk a shot. But uh, Levinson and Link, they didn't want to go with Peter Falk. They knew Falk. Uh, they thought he'd be good, but uh, they thought he was way too young because Thomas Mitchell's in his 70s. Burt Freed had also been an older guy, so they always pictured Columbo as a really old guy. And that, that might also be the <laughs> Father Brown influence because Father Brown was an old priest. So uh, they're like, I, Again, I know, did, did the they time, not realize he's, he's a current police officer, though? <laughs> like, yeah. They don't let a lot of seventy-year-olds still was, be police officers. It was a different era back then, you know. It was a, it was a, <laughs> a different world, but because uh, uh, Peter Falk at the time was only like thirty-nine, you know, um, mm. and basically, essentially half the age of I think Mitchell was like seventy-eight. So yeah, like half the age. So they're like, oh, he's too young. But Falk, uh, Falk doesn't even remember how he got the script. He thinks he just picked it up off someone's desk, like it wasn't sent to him. And he just happened to read it. He's like, oh, this is pretty good. I like to play this. And uh, so they brought him in, and they liked Falk, and, yeah, he got the gig. But think of all the little things that had to happen for Peter Falk to end up as uh, Columbo. Like, if any one of those things don't happen, if he doesn't pick that script off the person's desk, if Bing Crosby says, yeah, you know, know, if Thomas Mitchell (laughs) doesn't die. If he, like, played handball and wasn't that into it, like, oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Totally taking Uh, that job. So uh, a little bit more about uh, Peter Falk here. Uh, he was born in 1927, sadly passed away in 2011 at the age of 83, and in the last years of his life. Were Pretty good run. He, uh, what was that? Pretty good run there, 83 years. Yeah, 83, except, except for like the last four years he had dementia really bad and Alzheimer's and stuff, and it was oh. awful. He couldn't even remember that uh, he was Columbo or anything, and uh, oh, yeah, no. it's very sad, very, very sad. Um, when he was three years old, he had a rare form of cancer in his uh, right eye, so they had to remove it. So that's why he has the glass eye, because as a three-year-old, he had mm-hmm. the cancer. I guess his dad owned a wow. clothing store, and uh, his mom, I can't remember what his mom was doing. But his parents both lived to be really old as well in their 80s. Um, so it seemed like he had a good childhood, and he was like a senior class president and all that. But he, he was only five foot six. <laughs> he was a little fellow. And, yeah, uh, that sounds right. He went into... He went into the Army, and he wanted to be a rifleman in the Army, but they wouldn't let him because of his eye. Then he, uh, he got out. He went into the Merchant Marines, and uh, he went all over the world and stuff. And he ended up in Yugoslavia. He was putting in railroads in Yugoslavia for a little bit. <laughs> and <clears throat> then he came home. He went, he went back to college, and he, uh, he got a degree. Uh, I think he got his master's eventually to be like a uh, – some like civil servant thing, you know, like some public works degree or something. He he wanted to work in the government. Okay. And as soon as he got his master's, he realized, yeah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want what was I thinking. I don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, he didn't really ever want to – it wasn't like his lifelong dream to be an actor or anything, but he was in uh, – he signed up for a com- uh, community theater thing. Maybe he was doing Six Angry Men, uh, doing it twice as angry. And here some famous acting teacher in the crowd saw him. And this lady, I can't remember her name right now. It's like Ella something rather – 
she saw him and she went up to him after the, the plane and said, hey, what are you doing here in this uh, little podunk town wherever he was? He said, you got to get out of here. There's no acting here. you got to go to like a theater, you know. So because of that lady, this famous acting teacher pulled him aside and told him that, he quit his job and pursued his acting career the next day. He just went all in. And how about wow. that? Wow. Good Amazing, thing he guys. did. Yeah. So uh, we'll get into his acting career later when we talk to the chief detective. We'll go through his IMDb and whatnot. But uh, that's how he ended up as Columbo, which is uh, – he had a TV show on the network uh, on NBC, I think, before this called uh, The Trials of O'Brien, which I never realized. Uh, he was an hmm. attorney in this. And I watched, there's some clips on YouTube you can watch. And the clip I found, there's a young Alan Alda in the clip I was watching. And it's uh, – so – it's, it was only on one season, 22 episodes. The critics seemed to like it, but the audience didn't watch it so much. So that experience kind of... So he played O'Brien? Uh, yeah, he played O'Brien, an attorney. <laughs> the kind Irishman? Of like question, <laughs> with like quite, yeah, questionable morals, this, this O'Brien fella. Um, <laughs> by the way, in real life, Peter Falk kind of maybe had some questionable morals because, uh, you know, oh, really? you, 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 find, you hate to find out things about your heroes and whatnot, but uh, he, was a, he was quite the boozer and carouser. You know, he, he's a tomcat, and he cheated on all his wives, really, <laughs> like anything that moves him, yeah. That's Peter Even Falk. the last one? The one that was yeah. in all those episodes? Oh, yeah. man. That they, hurts. They, <laughs> they were known as the Fighting Falks, and <laughs> they, went, they were always fighting. But she eventually, uh, she said she just learned to live with, they agreed to just learn live with each other's faults. And, cause she, uh, yeah, his second wife was 22 years younger than him, and she did appear on like six episodes of Columbo. Um, we'll mention them later. Uh, his first wife, uh, I think he met her when he was in college or something, because they were dating for like 10 years, and then they got married in 1970, like right at the Columbo was going on. And then uh, they divorced in 1976. And one of the reasons why they divorced, because he was already banging the young one. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> wow. Getting it done. Remember, we were, remember yeah, like, uh, I remember months ago, I read something like he was a sex symbol. And I was like, what? Is Peter Falk a sex symbol? <laughs> yeah. The little five, six guy with the glass eyes is a sex symbol? Apparently <laughs> he was. He was always getting it done with these ladies. I don't know. But, uh, really, me and you yeah. need to lose an eye. Then we'll get all the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the money helped. <laughs> you know, when he had yeah. all the money, it probably helped. Yeah, being on that TV. That seems to be the missing yeah. ingredient for most of my life, <laughs> the money. <laughs> I do all right with two eyes, but it's the lack of money <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> all right, so uh, anyway. Uh, so Falk, uh, when he got the job as Columbo, uh, he, he was just planning to do the uh, the movie there, 1968 Prescription Murder. And because uh, he was sour on network TV because of the uh, life of O'Brien, the trials of O'Brien, he kind of soured on things because the network was always giving him headaches or whatever. But the uh, the movie uh, proved to be a big hit. So NBC's like, hey, well, why don't you do more of them Columbo deals? And uh, so, so Falk didn't want to do it, though. He was reluctant to do it. But thankfully, <laughs> his business manager screwed him out of 100 grand. Yeah, he swindled them out of a hundred grand. So uh, folks, like, shit, I need money. All right, I'll go do that Columbo thing. <laughs> so that's the only reason he did Columbo. <laughs> Think how different my life would be if uh, Peter Falk had a good business manager. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if he didn't uh, sign that power of attorney. But then uh, after that experience, he got a, uh, a, a 
he let one of his buddies be his business manager, one of his real close friends, Wayne Rogers. Uh-oh. Do you know Wayne Rogers? Sounds familiar. He played Trapper John on MASH. Oh, okay. So that guy, they became... How did that work out? Uh, Perfect. I guess they... uh, uh, Rogers uh, was business manager for a couple of different people, like uh, James Caan and uh, Falk and uh, someone else, too. But yeah, he was buddies with Wayne Rogers the rest of his life. Uh, He showed up... uh, I guess Wayne Rogers got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame or something, and Falk showed up when he was an old man with him and stuff. So yeah, they they were friends the rest of the way. So that's good to hear. Yeah, but uh, all right. So Falk, yeah. So Falk agreed to do the Columbo, uh, but the network said, "Hey, we want you to do a uh, before we do the series." Falk didn't want to do a uh, weekly series, though. He said that's too much. Uh, so NBC at the time they had this concept called they wanted to do called a Mystery Wheel, where they would rotate Columbo in with other shows. So Falk would only have to do six episodes of Columbo that first season. Uh, it eventually got yeah. stretched to seven, but uh, so uh, McMillan and wife. Rock Hudson and uh, Susan St. James. I also love McMillan and Wife. We can do a McMillan and Wife tribute if you want sometime. Uh, we can do that. <laughs> um, that, was, uh, that was one of the shows. Also, McLeod with Dennis Weaver would eventually be one of the shows. Uh, we can also okay. do a McLeod tribute. I love Dennis Weaver and McLeod. That's also very good. <laughs> um, you, you didn't see any of the, uh, these shows, Shank, I take it? You don't know any of these? No, I definitely know what they are, but I, I've never seen them, no. Yeah, McMillan and wife, uh, Rock Hudson's the police commissioner in San Francisco, and his young wife there, Susan St. James, helps him with his mystery sometimes. And then McLeod, Dennis Weaver's like a uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico police officer who comes to New York on like a student exchange program or something. <laughs> and so he's in New York <laughs> riding horses down Broadway and stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty great. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's why Falk, he agreed to do the uh, first season of Columbo there. And uh, he, he used... The wardrobe that Columbo uses in the show, that's, those are Peter Falk's own clothes. He, he brought those clothes from home. Nice. And uh, he wore the same suit and the same raincoat, the same shoes. Well, they had to change shoes at one point because someone, it's a long story. Uh, there's a, there, he had a stunt <laughs> double or some, somebody was wearing his shoes, and the guy fractured his ankle, so they had to cut the shoe off, so they had to get a different shoe. But for the most part. <laughs> oh, my God. They couldn't get the, the stunt double lookalike shoes. For the most part, the uh, it's his clothes the whole time. Like that suit was originally like uh, blue, and uh, he said he dyed it brown because when he was in Italy, he said uh, no one knows browns like the Italians. They use a lot of browns and everything. So he wanted to be monochromatic. <laughs> everything he wore to be brown. So he dyed the suit brown. And the raincoat, uh, he bought it. Uh, he was caught in a rainstorm somewhere, and he, and he went in and got it for 15 bucks at a store. And he had it at his house, and he brought it in because when he read the script, he thought it said. Columbo walks in with a raincoat, but actually the Levinson and Link said the script actually said overcoat, not raincoat. And Falk read oh. it with raincoat. So he came in with the raincoat, and then that became his signature look. So think of all these little sure things. Sure did, that yeah. Just right, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's great. And uh, he also uh, is responsible for choosing the car, the, uh, the, Peugeot, the Peugeot 403 Cabriolet. This is a French car. And uh, they were very good. <laughs> they were manufactured from 1955 to 1966. And uh, they took, they needed, uh, I think, uh, what episode was it where they needed a car? It may have been like episode, uh, I can't remember. Maybe the second one? I can't remember. But they said, hey, we need a yeah, car. Maybe. So uh, uh, they took them to the lot. The studio had a big lot filled with cars, hundreds and hundreds of cars. 
and he said, all right, pick a car. And because uh, they had three, and Falk didn't like either of them, or, or all three of them. Mm-hmm. He didn't like all three of them. And so they said, all right, we'll take you to the lot. You can look. He looked for hours at this lot. And then right before he left, he saw the, the nose of the uh, Peugeot sticking out. It was way in the back corner. It didn't even have an engine in it. And, uh, like, Levin said, like, like, are you sure you want this as a car? Like, this, why would a L.A. detective have a French car? This doesn't make any sense. And he's like, don't worry about it. The people will love it. And the people did love it. The people sure did. did love it. Yeah. So, and God damn it, they, they kept they that car all the way till the 2000s. Yep. They, did, they actually, uh, after the first set of Columbos ended, they actually got rid of the car. Like, someone bought it, and they had to track it down then to get it back for the uh, the later. Wow. Episodes. Yeah. So, um, but uh, what was I else going to say about Columbo? But Columbo fought them on, like, everything. Uh, Peter Falk, he was very, uh, <laughs> he was a perfectionist, and he uh, demanded high, the highest quality possible of everything. So he was always, and he didn't trust the networks and studios because of the Trials of O'Brien experience. So he fought Levinson and Link on, like, everything. So they said, all right, just let him have the car, you know, just whatever he fucking wants. Just let him have the car. <laughs> he got his car. Wow. Uh, the cojones on this guy. Yeah. Uh, he eventually ended up getting a dog in season two, and the dog was named Dog, an old basset hound. Um, <laughs> that was because the network, they're always giving them notes. And uh, one of the things they hated was they wanted Columbo to have a young sidekick. They said, give Columbo a young sidekick. Oh, you know? yeah, they tried that a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, a couple times with uh, Wilson, Officer Wilson, Freddie Wilson, and then John mm-hmm. Wilson. Same guy, same actor, different first names. They screwed up the con. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the dog. So, so them giving Columbo a dog was kind of like their their joke at the network. Like, here's his sidekick. We'll give him a dog. Columbo did not want the dog because <laughs> he said he's got enough. Columbo's got enough sticks with the car, the raincoat, the wife you never see. Don't need a dog. Don't want a dog. Nick Colasanto, who played Coach. On Cheers, he was the director of episode mm. two of season two at Hood and Black. He uh, he, pulled, he said, "Hey Peter Falk, we already got a dog for you. Why don't you just look at the dog, see if you like the dog?" So Falk said, "All right, I'll look at the dog." He looked at the dog and he loved the dog. He's like, "Yeah, that's Columbo's dog. That's exactly the kind of dog Columbo <laughs> would have." So uh, they got the Basset Hound. Oh wow! Sadly, I'm glad he agreed. Sadly, that first dog died. He didn't make it the whole run. Ooh. He uh, he died of old age. So they, late, in the later seasons, they had to bring in a younger dog, and then they put makeup on him to make him look older. <laughs> and uh, Falk, Falk said the damn dog was in the makeup chair longer than he was. He had to wake up. <laughs> How do you even put makeup on a dog? <laughs> I think they put, like, gray powder on his fur to make him look older. <laughs> uh, Falk, all the little Columbo idiosyncrasies, uh, those are all Peter Falk. He ad-libbed all those. Like when he's like looking wow. through his pockets or looking for his pencil or something or noticing somebody's mm-hmm. shoes or how much you pay for their shoes or whatever. That's all Peter Falk. He ad-libs all of that shit. That's so incredible. Uh, I know. And uh, they say he did it as a way to keep his fellow actors on edge. Like a lot of times when he's interviewing uh, these uh, murderers, he'll get distracted by something in the office. or uh, And he's, he would just do that. And he did it to keep them on edge and make the actors a little confused and impatient. And so their reactions would be genuine, you know, as like they, they'll be as frustrated as the killer would be in that situation. I mean, that's genius <laughs> stuff. But he would, always really want, he would always want to do a ton of takes, though. Like, uh, he would say, by like, take 50, he's just warming up, you know. So they would do this so much. Uh, 
Wow. So the original uh, Columbo episodes were 90 minutes, and they were they were given 10 days to film a 90 minute episode, but they always got ran over because of Falk demanding all the stuff that he demanded, <laughs> and they always went over budget and everything. Uh, but they were always well. Big to be fair, winners. Why, I don't know why you're only spending 10 days when you got you're only doing six a year. Like, well, here, <laughs> take your time. Well, for that first, well, for the season one, here's why. Um, because Falk, when he finally agreed to do it, he also agreed to do a, a, a Broadway play uh, with Lee Grant, oddly enough, who was in the uh, second movie, uh, Ransom for a Dead Man. She played the, uh, mm. the murderer in that one. So he oh, was yeah. supposed to do a schedule to do this play in, like, I think he was starting in September. And they just started to film season one in May. Like, that's when they agreed to the deal. So they had whatever that is, five months or whatever. I don't want to do the math. You do the math. Is that five months? Oh, May, okay. June, July. So they had five months to do six episodes. And it's like, holy fuck. We've got to try this things out. And they ended yep. up doing seven well, they episodes. they got the scripts done ahead of time. Yeah, they actually ended up doing seven. Because uh, <clears throat> Falk, one of the things, Falk, he walked off the set of like dead weight. Well, maybe we'll save these stories for when we go through the episodes. So we'll, uh, we'll spread them out. But, uh, mm. Yeah. So, all right. So, basically, Falk fought the networks in the studios. This was Universal Studios producing Columbo. He was always crying and complaining about his contract as well. Every year, he would go through the same song and dance about the money he was making. And he, <laughs> he was just a headache for everyone in the yep. executives. But uh, everyone said he's a nice guy. They all liked him because he was charming. And that, But he was just hardcore in terms of getting what he wanted. And he didn't dick around, and you know. So, uh, but yeah. sadly, I mean, they, that could uh, be seen as being a pain in the ass, but I mean, it, it worked out. <laughs> it made the well, character a lot better. It sounds like. It, well, here's the thing, though. Those later seasons, like season six and seven, when the episodes aren't as great, uh, they're not mm-hmm. as great because Peter Falk had control by that point. He became like the executive Uh-oh. producer. <laughs> and like the newer <laughs> seasons, he was the executive producer, and the more control he had the worst the show got. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, I guess you do always need someone to keep you in check. Yes, you Especially do. when you're getting older and your instincts are probably not as sharp as they were back in the day. Levinson and Lake, they were the producers, like the showrunners in season one. And they just couldn't do it anymore. They, they were just burned out, and they only wanted to do season one. <laughs> and uh, they were tired of arguing with Falk and everything. So then when season two finally started... And uh, Falk found out they weren't coming back. He's like, what do you mean you're not coming back? And they said, hey, we thought you'd be happy because you're fighting with us about everything. And he says, no, 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 now I trust you. So now, I, you know, <laughs> we're good. And they said, well, it's too late. We're already on to something else. Uh, but they stayed involved with the show throughout. They were always like story consultants and stuff. They ended up writing about seven episodes of it. Um, but uh, they, they would always consult. Like even after the newer, like the later seasons, every time an episode aired, Falk would have lunch with them. And they would talk about the episode and what was good and what was wrong. And, you know, they try to work on shit. But they weren't, like, officially the producers of the show anymore. So Okay. Who were the producers cool at that point? It changed every year. They had to bring in, like, there was, oh. uh, I think the next guy was, like, a fellow named Everett Chambers who had worked with, with Peter Falk on uh, something else in the past. And then the final seasons, uh, a guy named Richard Allen Sherman. Or no, Richard Allen Simmons. Yeah, like like Richard Simmons, the workout dude, but Allen in the middle, <laughs> Richard Allen Simmons. <laughs> he, uh, he, he took over uh, the end of six and then seven, and he kind of changed the show we'll talk about later. 
but they had a bunch of different producers in and out, and they had uh, different story writers. Some of the writers, uh, one of the main writers early on was a fellow named Stephen Bochco. I'm sure everyone knows Stephen Bochco, right? You know Stephen Bochco. Come on, Jank. Nothing? Oh, no. Did we lose Jank? Did Blog Talk fuck up right in the middle of uh, Columbo? Son of a bitch. Uh-oh. Jank, are you back? Hello, can you hear me? Jank, are you there? Hello? Jank! Hello? Oh, son of a bitch. Hold on. Hello? Hmm. Hello? Oh, shoot. Mm, I can... Oh, no. Um, not sure if we're recording. <laughs> Jank! Hey, can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you. Fucking blog right. talk. This is two Colombo tributes in a row. <laughs> blog talk is fucked up. I think we're done. I think I'm done with blog the talk. The man's I think trying I'm to get in the way. I, don't know. <laughs> I might be done. I might be done. I don't care. This might be it. Fuck you, <laughs> oh, blog no. talk. Screwing up the Colombo tribute. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to be like Peter Falk in the networks. You know what I'm saying? I'm not taking a shit anymore. <laughs> yep. 15 you years have of this You paying us more money for this. Yes. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Anyway. <laughs> Where were we with the Colombo? I'll clean this Stephen up. Stephen Bochco. Yeah, Stephen Bochco. You know Stephen Bochco, right? He created Hill Street Blues. You know? Hell yeah. And uh, I think uh, L.A. Law, right? Didn't he also do L.A. Law then later? But uh, Yeah, I think NYPD Blue, too. All those big uh, But either way, he, learned, he started out as a writer on Colombo. He's a real young kid. And uh, he was like their script supervisor. So Levinson and Link would get an idea, they'd, and then they'd hand it to him. He'd write up the first draft, and then he'd give it to them, and... And they had to crank out these scripts pretty quick. Uh, but, yeah, so Bochco was one of the big writers. And then uh, Jackson Gillis, he, uh, he ended up writing mo- uh, like 11 Columbo uh, scripts, and that's like the most. Because that was a problem. They couldn't find enough good scripts because uh, Columbo was a prestige mm. show. They wanted these good scripts. And it was tough to write these scripts, you know, to come up with these good clues and these good gotcha moments and everything. So it was always sure. a struggle to find enough scripts. Um, and it started to show towards the end there of the run. But, uh Oh, yeah, that's fair. Although, again, you're only doing six or seven a year. It shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> uh, but these are two hours, like an hour and a half, two hours. So, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, because you think of these mystery shows like Murder, She Right? They're cranking out one a week, you know? Yeah. But, again, they're not nowhere near as good as Columbo either. You know what I mean? That is true. <laughs> uh, yeah. so the quality matters. I think when folks started doing Columbo, he was getting paid like $42,000 an episode. In season one, and then that jumped Damn, to a hundred thousand. I take that now. <laughs> that jumped to a hundred thousand an episode. Then it jumped to one thirty-two uh, an episode. Then I think by season five it was three hundred grand an episode, and then I think he was getting like five hundred grand maybe by the end. But hey, yeah, he was he was wow. always getting the money out of him. And uh, early <laughs> on, the murderers, uh, like for the first couple of seasons, I think they could go as high as twenty grand 
to get a murder at a guest star in Columbo. And then NBC <laughs> started cracking down on the budgets. They said, all right, as high as you can go is twelve five, twelve thousand five hundred for a murder. And, Damn. Uh, that that kind of sucks because they're honestly in the episode probably more than Columbo. I know. That's out crazy. With them. Like, like they're getting <laughs> yeah. ten grand, twelve grand, and Columbo's getting three hundred thousand. Peter, <laughs> that's, <crazy. laughs> that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So yeah, the NBC mystery movie rotation it ran from seventy one to seventy eight. Wednesday nights uh, they also did a show from uh, eight thirty to ten, and uh, then it was later moved to Sunday. And started with uh, McLeod, Columbo, and McMillan and wife. Then after uh, Columbo went off the air in 78, ABC brought him back in 89 uh, f- until 2003 for 24 more episodes. So we have the seven orig- We have the first movie, Prescription Murder, uh, the pilot, because uh, Ransom for a Dead Man, the one with Lee Grant, that was uh, actually a pilot. They wanted them to make a pilot episode to, prove, uh, to give proof of concept. Because Columbo, I guess we should mm-hmm. say this, for those who don't know, we're talking about Columbo. It's, it's a mystery, but it really isn't. It's a suspense uh, because you know who the killer yep. is right from the start. It's an in- inverted mystery format. Now, Levinson and Link didn't invent it. That, uh, that mystery format had been around since the early 1900s, but they popularized it. And it was never seen on TV or anything until Columbo. So uh, the network said, hey, uh, make us another one of the movies just so we make sure you guys know what you're doing and this would still work. So they did uh, Ransom for a Dead Man as a pilot, and uh, then they did the uh, season one. Uh, so you have the two, the, the movie, the pilot, then you have 43 original episodes, and uh, the episodes range from 73 minutes to 98 minutes. The reason why they went longer than that uh, to the, uh, well, 98 minutes, that's two hours in network TV time with commercials and whatnot. And the reason they, they expanded mm-hmm. it in season two is because Columbo was a huge success. They wanted to get more commercials and make more money. You know, so they, they kind of forced them to make two-hour <laughs> shows. Most people think the two-hour shows aren't as good as the 90-minute ones because they are padded with some scenes that aren't really necessary for the plot. <laughs> uh, so if you're looking for tight mysteries, the two-hour ones aren't the best. But some of those extra padded scenes are pretty fucking awesome. Some of my favorite scenes in all Columbo are just, like, yeah. ridiculous scenes for no reason. I'm wondering if, yeah, I'm, there's one that's leaping to mind. I wonder if that was one of those. Go ahead. Which one? <laughs> uh, I forget what episode it was in, but that one where Columbo is trying to—he's going to like the you know Hall of Records or something to get some get this lady to print him yeah. out some. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's exercise yeah. and fatality. Yeah, exercise and fatality. Yeah, that's with, uh, it. Robert Conrad. He's he's going to like this uh, corporate office to get uh, information about uh, uh, not a suspect, but someone he wants to question about the suspect. Yeah, an employee of theirs, I believe. Yeah, it was. Lewis Lacey. That's who he's at. Lewis mm-hmm. Lacey. And the actress behind, I, I was always enamored with this actress who was working the computers. Uh, her name was Susan Jacoby. Yeah, she was I, I always liked her. And uh, she only did like three things in her life, but this uh, Columbo episode, oh, I'm a big fan of it. And so this scene goes on for like five minutes of Columbo trying to get this information <laughs> from her, and she's printing it out on the computer. And he has to keep coming back. Very slow, like dot matrix printer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and she's like, it's printing it out right now. And she's smiling at him, but she's being kind of like cold and aloof to him the whole time. And uh, he's like, you know, you could just give me his name, and then he's smoking a cigar. I love that scene. One of my favorite scenes in the whole fucking yep. series. And yes, that is. That, that it was turns out added. he was fired anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to get. He calls him on the phone. But I also love he he uh, smokes a cigar and he puts it in the ashtray, and then uh, he forgets it. So he goes into the elevator. The elevator doors close. Then the elevator doors open. He walks out. He looks around like you know, and then he grabs the cigar real quick and runs back in the elevator. Oh, I love it so much. 
but yeah, that scene was just padded to get to the two hour time limit. That's all that was. It's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> so that's what I mean. You hear people belly aching about the two hour shows. I think the two hour shows are great. Some of them are really, really good, so don't worry about it. Uh Robert Culp, Jack Cassidy, and Patrick McGowan. Uh George Hamilton mm. and William Shatner were the only actors to play the murderer more than once. Culp and Cassidy each played the murderer three times, and Patrick McGowan did it four times, two in the original 43 and two in the new episodes. So uh, that's something. Yeah, I remember uh, a lot Jack- of Patrick McGowan. And I think he directed yeah, I'm not episodes, a huge, too. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, he did direct. We'll talk about that when we get through. I'm not a huge fan of Patrick McGowan. Uh, apparently no, he's, he's kind of nondescript. <laughs> he didn't leave much of an impression on me. He, he's known... He's a British actor famous for The Secret Agent and uh, The Prisoner. These are kind of like uh, British shows, cult shows. So that's how they got him in here. Uh, He was also a boozer. Big boozer is Patrick McGowan guy. Oh, uh, so him and Columbo are out tearing it up. Columbo Columbo and him hit it off. (laughs) Columbo often went to him (laughs) when there were script problems or something. Uh, but, yeah, again, this was one of those decisions where Peter Falk uh, made a mistake in relying on Patrick McGowan for script stuff. And, uh, <laughs> it's not always the best. Yeah. Um, All of his characters were kind of wooden. None of them were particularly like... Uh, yeah. Know, I never like... Never was how going or anything like that. My favorite is Jack Cassidy. He's my favorite Columbo murderer. He was in three oh, episodes we talk about as we get through. Yeah, David Cassidy's daddy, Shirley Jones, and him uh, made David Cassidy. Uh, but uh, big fan of Jack Cassidy. Yeah. I need to get a beverage. I was getting parched. <laughs> talking so much about Columbo. Even Robert Culp I really liked. He was, he was yeah, very Culp good was on good. too. Yeah, he's actually in four Columbo episodes, but he played the murderer three times. He was also in uh, Columbo Goes to College in uh, the newer episodes. Oh, that's right. I liked that one. That was a good one. Yeah, one he played of one of the kids. Episodes. Yeah, he played one of the kids' dads. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, Dabney Coleman was also in two episodes of Columbo. Uh, he was a killer once, and then he was a police officer once in uh, Double Shock with Martin Landau, that episode. Uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen was in two episodes. Uh, he was murdered one. Yeah. And then he was a uh, like the boyfriend of Susan Clark in Lady in Waiting. Yep. So uh, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, well. I think a Patrick McGowan one where I was like, oh, why'd they kill off Leslie Nielsen right away? He could, he could have been the killer instead of Patrick McGowan. <laughs> yeah, that was identity crisis. Identity crisis, Patrick McGowan. Uh, Falk's own Columbo favorites. He has uh, four favorite Columbo episodes. Any Old Port in a Storm with Donald Pleasance. That was one of his favorites. Uh, Ooh, Forgotten yeah. Lady with Jennifer Lee. Uh, Jennifer J- What's her name? Uh, Janet Lee. Not Jennifer, Jennifer J- J- Lee. Oh. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember Jennifer Jason Lee in there. Yeah. <laughs> now you see him, Jack Hasty, where he's the magician. And uh, he oh, actually yeah. liked Identity Crisis with Patrick McGowan, where he kills Leslie Mills. But, uh, huh. Yeah, I mean, that does it have the good parts where, uh, like, I think, remember Columbo ran into him at the gas station? Yeah. <laughs> he was paying with that, change. That's that another one good. of them scenes that uh, I'm sure got added to pad it up. But, uh, I like that. That scene was great, though. I love that scene, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all told, uh, Peter Falk won four Emmys and a Golden Globe for playing Columbo. Uh, he won three Emmys during the original run, and then he won one Emmy during the later run. How about that? Yeah. Pretty good. And for the series, Columbo won 13 Emmys and two Golden Globes. So there you go. There's Columbo. 
And now we get to my favorite part, where we break down <laughs> all 69 episodes of Columbo. Holy fuck, is this going to be awesome. <laughs> We're an hour in, and we haven't even started the top 69. This is going to be so great. Oh, my God. Get ready. I was going to cut up the the theme song, the, like uh, the top 11 theme, and then, like, dub over it with 69 instead of 11. But that's a lot of work. <laughs> so... Just the numbers, pretend. I'll go to 69. Yeah, so there it is. Top 11, 69. <laughs> All right, Jank, are you ready? I think so. Keep in mind... <laughs> My buttons are is, clenched. This is only an exhibition. This is not a competition, so please, as always, no wagering. All right? No wagering. <laughs> but, uh... Number 69. Come on, Columbo cries wolf being number two. <laughs> number 69, season 10, episode 5. No time to die. Without doubt, this is the worst Columbo episode ever. <laughs> uh, we're, in fact, we'll talk about it in a minute. At number 68, season 10, episode 9, Undercover. Oh, right. yeah. So these two episodes... Remember, Jank, uh, how we were saying uh, these are not Columbo episodes. Uh, no Time yep. to Die, uh, his nephew is getting married, and his bride gets kidnapped on their wedding day, and Columbo and his nephew and a bunch of other cops have to investigate and find uh, the bride before the killer rapes her and murders her. <laughs> yeah. That's not, not a typical Columbo, Columbo episode. No. That's not, not Columbo. No. <laughs> <laughs> we also see Columbo carrying a gun in this episode at the end. He's, uh, and the and the the kidnapper gets. Gu- <laughs> you know he has been trained on in years. Yeah, Columbo doesn't shoot the guy, but his nephew like comes in and shoots him dead. So we see a, a suspect dead. This is an abomination. This episode, it is terrible. Uh, and then, yeah, I think I I think I still liked it better than Undercover though. <laughs> Undercover oh, yeah, is the toughest to get through. The undercover for me, at least, uh, I think at the end he mentions his dog, so I'm like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> so undercover. <laughs> Again, this is not a Columbo episode. It's a police procedural where Columbo goes undercover mm-hmm. to try and find some uh, hidden money or stolen money or something. And uh, isn't Ed Begley Jr. in this episode? And uh, Yeah. It's not even a good – yeah, you're right. It's not even a good police procedural. It's like they're trying to find pieces of, like, a treasure map, basically. Like, what the fuck is this? The cops don't do that. (laughs) And and then at one point – Jones episode or something. At one point, like, Columbo gets pistol whipped, right? Doesn't he get beaten up by somebody? Like, just beating the fuck out of Columbo? You don't want to see Peter Falk get pistol whipped. All right. Uh, so, so Jank, a couple months ago, I remember we were talking about these two episodes on our show because we're like, these aren't Columbo episodes. They're the worst. And we we're like, why did they mm-hmm. do this? Why on earth did they do this? Who is responsible for making these two terrible episodes of Columbo? Well, that man is Peter Falk. Peter yeah, Falk. That hurts. For this. So what happened was Peter Falk was at dinner with uh, one of his buddies. And uh, they're always looking for scripts. You know, they always had a tough time finding scripts. So Peter Falk said, hey, buddy of mine, who's the best mystery writer in America working right now? And his buddy was a friend, of, uh, was a fan of Ed McBain in the 87th Precinct series. And Ed McBain was a fella. He was a pen name. And he wrote a shit ton of uh, 87th Precinct novels, like 
I can't remember the exact number, but it's like a lot, like 80 or so of these novels. And uh, so he's like, all right. Uh, so Falk, without even thinking, without consulting with anybody, he just made a deal to buy two script, two uh, books of, Mc, of Ed McBain's to uh, make them into Columbo episodes. <laughs> And then when he read the, the books, he's like, oh, wow, this is different than Columbo. I should have probably read these. And uh, the studio <laughs> said, hey, guess what, Peter Falk? You paid money for those goddamn things. You're going to use them. So they had to use the scripts. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, that's... All because Peter Falk <laughs> should not be the executive producer of a TV show. He has no idea what the fuck he's doing. And, uh, he should at yeah. least read the things before paying for them. Good Lord, Peter Falk. Uh, so uh, that's why they got made. And But here, get this, though, Jank. That uh, No Time to Die, when it came out, the one about the wedding, that was the highest rated Columbo since the 70s. Of all the new Columbo, <laughs> that was the highest rated one. Undercover wow. was also very highly rated in terms of uh, ratings. What? But the, cr- the critics hated them. That boggles them. my mind. Yeah, yeah, all Columbo fans and all critics hated them. So I don't know why they did such good uh, ratings, though, in terms of viewers. They had to really... That is weird. Like, the wedding one, I could kind of see it, because you're seeing, like, a peek at Columbo's life, I guess. Like, his nephew and shit. Like, you never see his wife, but I guess you get to see his nephew. That's something. Yeah, but... I guess they said his wife <laughs> was out of town taking care of her uh, aunt or something. Uh, she had to... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't um, or maybe her mom. or I, I, I can't remember. But... Um, in that episode, his his nephew, even though his nephew's getting married and everyone there is family, no one calls him by his first name. You know, because they... <laughs> that, that, yeah. that was one of the rules that Levinson and Link had for the character that uh, they had, a, they had a, a, a few rules. One, uh, no one ever calls him by his first name. Two, you never see him at the uh, police station working with uh, his superiors or anything, you know, or, uh, or people. They, they well, didn't want... I mean, you did, yep. Eventually, that did happen. Eventually, that did happen. Yep. But when Levinson and Link were on the show, that did not happen. And they weren't happy about it when it did happen. Um, he had also, uh, they wanted something else. They had a few others. I can't remember. But, uh, but anyway, and the network always wanted them to make big changes. Uh, one of the things the network always wanted, they wanted Columbo to show up earlier in the, in the episodes. Because usually it's 20 minutes before Columbo shows up. And the network's like, no, we need Columbo in here early. And Levinson and Link said, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. So uh, they, they stuck to their guns on most things. But once they left, that's, all those things started to change. But the one thing that never changed was they never said his first name on any episode. Now, yeah. if you ask Columbo uh, fans like me, they say, well, what is his real name? And I will tell you it's Frank. Because there's an episode, there's a few episodes actually, where Columbo flashes his badge and his ID. And, uh, you know, at the time, they never thought anyone would be able to read it. But as the years went by and technology advanced, you could freeze in and zoom in. <laughs> and you can tell that on his badge and his ID, it says Frank Columbo. But Levinson mm. and Link said that wasn't their decision. That wasn't their idea. That was just a prop guy who uh, he was making up the, the ID, and he just wrote in a name on his own. So Levinson and Link, they say that Columbo does not have a first name. It's never revealed his first name is not Frank. <laughs> That's just the prop guy that did that on his own. Yeah. So that's weird. I mean, I can see not doing it on the show, but he obviously does have a first name. So, (laughs) but they just don't. They want it to remain a mystery. (laughs) They want it to remain a mystery. All right. uh, Getting back to the uh, the big countdown here. Uh, Episode sixty-seven, season ten, episode seven. It's all in the game. 
It's all in the game. And this is uh, this episode was written by Peter Falk, which might be why it's oh. uh, towards the bottom. But this was the one with <laughs> Faye Dunaway, where he's kind of all flirting oh, with Faye Dunaway. No. Yeah. yeah, I didn't like that at <laughs> I, all. I can't even watch this episode. It's so cringy. I uh, I don't like it. Because, again, this isn't Columbo. I don't know who this is. It's not Columbo. No. He's, uh, tr- he's trying to romance Faye Dunaway, and, like, he's kissing her and shit. And it's like, what is going on here? Yeah. And she's, like, he's not even, like, mentioning the fact that, oh, I'm married and shit. Like, he just yeah. forgets all about that. Just like, oh, I mean, it's Faye Dunaway. What are you going to do? And I guess if you really look at this episode, all the clues, the key clues and everything, how the murder's done, they were all stolen from previous episodes of Columbo. And because that's Peter <laughs> Falk wrote this. And he thought he had these great ideas, but no, Peter. These are things you actually already did before, and I guess no one has to tell him. <laughs> oh, okay. no, this wasn't when the uh, dementia was setting in, was it? I don't know. Forgot he did those episodes. Uh, also, yeah, he was friends with Faye Dunaway, and uh, Faye Dunaway actually called him because she was going to be in some other project about a uh, forensic examiner or something, and she called Peter Falk just for some advice on something. And when they were talking, Falk's like, hey, I'm writing up a Columbo. Hey, you might be good for this. And he gave her the script she liked it, she wanted to do it, so that they did it. And you think it would be great, uh, two old friends working on a show like this. But uh, Peter Falk got it was the old switcheroo. He got a taste of his own medicine because Faye Dunaway has a reputation for, for being difficult on the set. And uh, she drove Peter Uh-oh. Falk crazy. She drove him crazy because she's, <laughs> she was always like she's firing hairdressers and makeup people and doing all kinds. Of, she wanted to come out of her uh, dressing room. Stuff like that. Oh, God. So, yeah. So he got a taste of his own medicine out there, Peter Falk. <laughs> everybody was kind of enjoying it. They said, yeah. How does it feel, Peter? How does it feel, buddy? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's pretty funny. Episode 66, uh, or number 66, uh, season 8, episode 1, Columbo Goes to the Guillotine. This was the first mm, new yeah. episode. This was the very first of the uh, new episode. It's about, like, uh, a, a Yuri Geller kind of guy who can, like, do uh, remote viewing. And uh, and then, like, an amazing uh, – what was that guy? Amazing Randy or whatever. Is that his name? He tried to debunk I think so. People. Yeah. And, and it's terrible. This episode is Yeah, awful. this put a real bad taste in my mouth for the new episodes. I was like, oh, no, if they're all going to be I like know. this, it's going to be a long watch. But, yeah, this was yeah, the first one. It was so overly complicated. Like it's like, oh, he's scamming the government. He's gonna kill someone because of that. But no, it's he also had some secret past where he was like a Nazi or something. I don't remember. It was like or somebody he he happened to run into some guy who he knew from some village in Africa where they did something a long time ago. It's like, well, that's coincidental. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I don't know. I I watched it like once and not enough. <laughs> and that was and I watched yeah. it a long time ago. I didn't watch it during the recent rewatch of the series. Because I want no part of it. It, um, it yeah. is brutal. <laughs> that's a bad sign when that's the first of the new ones. You know, people were not happy. Yeah, I can't blame them. It was it was atrocious. Like when you you, you think of a like classic Columbo episodes, you're not thinking of people using mental powers and like bending yeah. spoons. That's <laughs> that's rushing into the '80s in a terrible, terrible way. Number 65, season 10. You're, you're going to hear a lot of season 10s in the early numbers here. <laughs> but uh, 65, season 10, episode 14, Columbo Likes the Nightlife. This is the final Columbo uh, mystery. Oh, ever. man. It's not terrible, It's but here's what I don't like about it. Uh, Columbo's at a rave. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> like that rave girl was cute. She wanted yeah, Tombo so bad. And the and the uh the, the also <laughs> stars the guy from the Americans, whatever that guy's name is, the guy in the Americans. Yeah, Matthew Reeves. Yeah. But also the ending with the fish and the fish tank that was fucking stupid. Um I didn't like that. <laughs> so that was fine. It was clever. Oh, come on. It wasn't clever. It wasn't. It was yeah, I just didn't. It's fine, but I just didn't like it. it really, like, after uh, Columbo goes to the guillotine, like, the next ten, it's all splitting hairs. Like, they're all about the same. You can put them in any order you want. It really doesn't matter. I think there are some good ones in there. All right. Uh, number, number 68. Uh, the one girl in Columbo likes the nightlife. Uh, not just, I don't know if it's oh, the red girl, yeah. but the blonde at the beginning. She the main, yeah, the main girl, yeah. yeah. She was really good looking. Uh, I she hope you hear about count. her later. No, no, you don't, because uh, I, oh, I don't count those new episodes as the uh, ladies at Columbo. They're like, uh, I don't know. I only worry about the first I think she'd be my number one lady, so. <laughs> well, she's not <laughs> on the list. That's so, disappointing. Know, <laughs> I, only, I only focused on the first 43. The rave girl would probably be number two. <laughs> so, uh, number 64, <laughs> season 10, episode 10, Strange Bedfellows. This is uh, George Wentz. In the uh, horse racing, and, <laughs> and I loved your George favorite Wayne, ending. I know I loved your, but the ending is so terrible. Yeah, he, Columbo works with the mob, <laughs> and he has police officers who were uh, pretending to be mob guys beat him and the suspect up. They like they are roughing up George <laughs> Wentz because they say they're going to kill George Wentz. So George Wentz tells them what the, the key clue they need, where they find the murder weapon under the bird bath or whatever. But it's like, yeah, you can't do that. That's a, you can't do that. You can't. Have, <laughs> you can't make a suspect confess because they think they're going to be murdered by the mob. Yeah, There's also a scene where George Wentz wears a disguise <laughs> to go into like a pawn shop. He puts on a fake beard. Yeah, because I would never recognize George Wentz if he puts on a fake beard. <laughs> that guy looks a lot like George well. Wentz, but with a beard. Oh, wait, George Wentz. But yeah. That's not Norm, that's so, Cliff. So that's not a good one. <laughs> uh, number 63, Season 10, Episode 11, A Trace of Murder. Uh, now this one, I like this one because a cat's involved. But um, otherwise, it's like a forensic uh, scientist and his lover are trying to, uh, they murder oh, like, right. her husband or something. Uh, the ending's pretty lame. Like, it's just Columbo, I, I, like, he, he tricks them to, like, uh, rat each other out or something and, I don't know. It's that's it's right. Something to do with the car, like uh, yeah. they got in the car or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that one wasn't very great. Episode sixty-two, season ten, episode thirteen, murder with too many notes. This is a uh, hmm. Billy Connolly, oh, right? Okay. The Scottish yeah, Billy Connolly. Uh, he played a music I like this one. Yeah, it's not. It's not the like I said. There's they're all the same at this point. These <laughs> they're all the same. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. <laughs> this episode's yeah, fine. Yeah, it was but, a cool uh, thing with the elevator, I guess. It was, it was some I good guess. stuff there. I don't know. It was an interesting um, setting, I guess, the the orchestra. 61, episode, or season 9, episode 2, Columbo Cries Wolf. This is the one we talked about earlier. It's kind of <laughs> like a, a Playboy uh, situation where uh, Dick Tremaine from Twin Peaks is a Playboy photographer, and they make it seem like the... The publisher, a lady publisher, is it has been murdered, but actually mm-hmm. she is all publicity stunts, and she comes back into the country, so it makes Columbo look like an idiot. But then he ends up murdering her for real. 
<laughs> yep. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's really dumb because I think that whole first part of it is probably the first hour and 15 minutes. So they wrap up the rest of it in the last 15 minutes. It's like, oh, okay. That was a lot of buildup to get to the, the murder finally. When I, was, when I was putting the ratings together, the only reason this gets a little higher is because uh, there's a lot of ladies in, like, bathing suits and shit early on in the episode. Yeah. Like a Playboy Mansion. Plus Dick Tremaine. And, yeah, Dick uh, Tremaine. <laughs> uh, number Tomorrow's 60. Day in the time. Season 8, Episode 2, Murder, Smoke, and Shadows. This is the second of the new episodes. This is basically Steven Spielberg mm. is a murderer. Uh, Fisher Stevens <laughs> yeah. plays Steven Spielberg. Fisher Stevens, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this weird holograms that he had. Yeah, yeah this one's it's, it's fine. Better. You know, yeah, yeah definitely a step up from that first one. But uh, still not great. Sorry, I'm having a beverage <laughs> again. I nearly choked. Still not great. Uh, but at the end, they do this weird sure. thing where Columbo, he gets, uh, they get all these people to like go along with the bit. They're like all actors. And then Columbo, like, they do this fantasy shot where he's dressed as like a ringleader of a circus and he takes a bow. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep, that sure do. Cinematic ending, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not it's nothing super memorable, but yeah, I don't have a major problem with it being this low. <laughs> but uh, of course, we'll talk about Steven Spielberg later because he has a tie to Columbo. Obviously, we'll discuss when we get there. Mm. Um, uh, number fifty nine, season nine, episode six, murder in Malibu. This is, uh, I think, Brenda Vaccaro, and, uh, like, is it her sister that gets murdered, and then uh, that one guy, and the big clue at the end is uh, uh, the, the lady, Columbo realizes the lady uh, was uh, dressed by the murderer because the, the underwear was on backwards or something, and, <laughs> oh, and the final yeah. scene, <laughs> the final scene is Columbo in, like, a Victoria's Seeker kind of place, demonstrating on a mannequin uh, how the underwear should be with the tag on the underwear. And he uh, he says the word panties like six times in two minutes. <laughs> he sure does. There's a bunch of women in the store just looking at him all weird. Like, Why are you and if you've ever this? wanted to see a 60-year-old Peter Falk say panties six times, <laughs> this is the episode for you. I guess he ad-libbed that scene. Like he kind of, Not completely ad-libbed it. Like they knew what they were doing. But I, I don't think he was supposed to say panties six times. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that level of commitment because that's yeah that's probably the most memorable part of that whole episode. Yeah, Otherwise, it's kind of forgettable and kind of convoluted. I think. Uh, uh, number fifty-eight, season ten, episode three: Columbo and the Murder of a Rock Star. This is Dabney Coleman, and uh, he kills his. Uh, does he kill? Does he kill his wife or he kills a rock star? I can't remember. How does this work? <laughs> Uh, I think he killed both of them, maybe. Yeah, because his wife was having an affair. <laughs> maybe it was with like a, a murder suicide. Yeah. Yeah, she was having an affair with the rock star. Yeah, so that's how that worked. I think. Uh, also, Columbo's real life wife, his second wife, is in this uh, episode. Um, one of the six she's in, and I think yeah. one of these episodes, uh, she got so pissed at him, she left the set, and they couldn't get her back, and it was a big struggle getting <laughs> oh, her no. back because her and Peter were arguing or something. I don't know. It may have been this one. I can't remember. But the, the ending of this one is dopey. Like, it has to do with a uh, a, a traffic camera, like a uh, red light that camera deal. Or someone oh, ran a red light. Oh, God, I forgot about this. And they had a paper mask of death on his face. It's like, oh, it's so Yeah. 
That was terrible. But otherwise, <laughs> yeah. the episode's not that bad. It's it's pretty good. Uh, Dabney Coleman, you know, so whatever. Um, sure. Uh, number 57, season 10, episode 6, A Bird in the Hand. This is, uh, what's her face? Uh, Greg Evigan is the fella, Mighty Dads, and the lady from Cagney and Lacey. I can't remember her name, but you know who I'm talking about. Hmm. Cagney and Lacey lady. <laughs> I'll say yes, but not really. Oh, come on. Cagney and Lacey lady. Oh, <laughs> shit. Um, uh, yeah. You know, of Cagney and Lacey. Bitch, I don't think I've ever watched it. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Oh, we'll, we'll find <laughs> it in a minute. But uh, but this one is different. Uh, I think this is a Jackson Gillis script. Uh, they put a twist on it. So it looks like Greg Evigan's going to be the killer. He's preparing to murder a guy. Um, like, is it his uncle or someone? Or somebody knows? I can't remember. Uh, oh, Tyne Daly. Tyne Daly. Thank you for Googling that. Yes, Tyne Daly. <laughs> and oh, yeah, he, I uh, remember this. He's planning to murder him by blowing up his car. But before he, the guy can get to his car to get blown up, he actually gets killed in a hit-and-run uh, while he's out jogging. So then Greg mm-hmm. Evigan's like, shit, he's already dead, and I have that car with a bomb on it. i got to go get that bomb off that car. But then the police are there, and they're investigating, and here some poor gardener goes to move that car, and he blows up. So that was yeah. pretty good. I like that. I, I thought that was yep. pretty good. that was a good scene. Um, the rest of the so, episode is pretty uh, unwatchable. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty obvious <laughs> who killed him, because he's like, well, there's only two suspects, and we know that one, his plan got thwarted, so who else could it be? Yeah, yeah. This is one of the few Columbos though where you don't know who the killer is until later. It's uh, true. So, all right, uh, number fifty-six, uh, season ten, episode twelve, "Ashes to Ashes." <clears throat> this is Patrick McGowan, and he's uh, like a funeral parlor owner, and he has to cremate somebody, and like something's left over after the cremation, and that kind of proves like something happened. I don't know. I watched this episode way back in the day. I didn't watch it on the rewatch, uh, but I remember it being pretty good. So, <laughs> I think uh, there was a, wasn't there a scene in this one where uh, Patrick McGowan's like accepting some award for being like the best crematorium guy? Yeah. It's like what the fuck is this? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's so weird. So that's pretty good. Uh, number fifty-five, season nine, episode four. Rest in peace, Mrs. Columbo. This Ooh. one it opens up at the funeral for Mrs. Columbo, and poor uh, Columbo is mourning the death of his wife. And then we, they frame the story with that, so then we go back in time and we see this lady who's out to get Columbo because did he put away her – who did he arrest? Someone she knew or something? Or I can't even remember. Ah, uh, yeah. It must have been she wanted revenge. Yeah, she wanted lover. revenge for Columbo. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, of course, at the end, uh, she didn't actually kill Mrs. Columbo. Columbo rigged it all up to make it seem like she had killed Mrs. Columbo, but she didn't. And, yep. and you think – because she well, sent her, like, finally... poison food or something, I think. Uh, poison marmalade, I believe. Like ah, marmalade that's or it. Jelly. Yep. Yeah. And I think, because uh, Columbo at the end, he, he's acting like he's eating the poison marmalade as well. But uh, he knows he's not. He's eating normal marmalade. And uh, they rig up the house, because you think you're in Columbo's house, but you're not really in his house or something. Because uh, you think, like, because he calls Mrs. Columbo on the phone at the end. It's a pretty good scene. And then they pan to, like, a picture of a lady on it. And, like, oh, look, it's Mrs. That's Mrs. It must be Mrs. Columbo. But then he re- reveals they're not in their house and it's someone else's house. And, yeah, so. <laughs> but there it is. Rest in peace, Mrs. Yep. Columbo. He did that trick a couple of times. 
Uh, 54, season 8, episode 4, Grand Deceptions. This was the last episode of the first season back. It's about a military fella. He's running guns. They based it on Oliver North at the time and uh, the Mm. Iran-Contra stuff. And uh, the big memorable thing here is this guy's alibi was he was setting up a big table with all these little military dudes and like a military exercise, little toy soldiers. And after Columbo catches them, the camera pans through the uh, the battlefield of all the little toy soldiers, and there's a little tiny uh-huh. Columbo in a raincoat. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty good. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> hey, it doesn't make any sense, but, yep, <laughs> it, it's memorable. Episode, or number 53, season 8, episode 3, Sex and the Married Detective. <clears throat> I think this ah, is also yeah. the first, also, this is number 3 of the first season back. Uh, basically, the idea was it was Dr. Ruth. They said, what if Columbo matches wits with Dr. Ruth? So they had a sex expert here, this lady. She murders her uh, boyfriend. And uh, was it her collaborator yeah, as well? Lindsay but, uh, Krauss, was that her name? She's not possibly. Buffy. I should remember this. <laughs> uh, but he was cheating on her, and she was embarrassed because a sex expert whose boyfriend is cheating on her. So she murders him. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty good episode. Uh, but remember, this episode features that scene of Columbo playing the tuba. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with that class of children who were on like a field right, trip. Three guesses who was responsible for that scene. <laughs> uh, Peter Falk. <laughs> that's right. That was Peter Falk's <laughs> idea. They put it in. Man, it's so it's so heartbreaking to realize <laughs> everything that was terrible about the show, he's responsible for. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that wasn't even during the two-hour area era, so they didn't have to pad out the episode. That was just <laughs> thought that was good storytelling. Uh, number fifty-two, season nine, episode two, murder a self-portrait. This is Columbo versus Pablo Picasso. That was the uh, genesis of this idea. We oh, have an artist. God. <laughs> with three ladies. That artist was getting and, it done, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had three ladies. He had an ex-wife and uh, a wife and a mistress or two mistresses. I can't remember how that broke down. I, uh, yeah, ladies. wife and a mistress. Yep. And they all lived with him. and <clears throat> Yeah, he would just rotate was, between them all. And I think it was the ex-wife that got murdered, right? I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not a bad episode. It's pretty good. It's, uh, it's enjoyable. Yeah. To watch this. Like, it's fine. It's kind of interesting. He's supposed uh, to be painting something for the local bar, I think. Yeah, Vito Scotti, one of my beloved uh, favorite actors. Uh, Vito Scotti, he's, he's in a lot of Columbos. He's also in a couple of episodes of Dick Van Dyke. Famous character actor mm-hmm. on TV, Vito Scotti. Yeah. In fact, uh, the first Churchfield uh, story ever, uh, the three, uh, Honest John and the Three Maidens, I think it was called. If that's what it was. Uh, but one of the characters is named in honor of Vito Scotti. So. Oh. Nice. <laughs> if I, I again, I wrote that story like 20 years ago, so I, I can't remember. <laughs> I, I think it was. <laughs> I think it was an art critic, <laughs> or no, it was an artist. Brown. It was an, an artist who, uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, <laughs> where are we here? Uh, number 51. How you doing, Jank? We're 51. We're in the number 51. We still got a long way to go. How you doing? <laughs> All right, want to get a drink of water? Uh, I'm good. I'm staying hydrated, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> How many people do you think will make it to number one with us? <laughs> I, I hope everyone... I hope everyone um, <laughs> even the orphans are just like, 
probably just offing themselves right now. <laughs> They're zoning out. <laughs> Being abandoned by their parents wasn't enough to make them give up on life, but this might be. <laughs> we're, we're almost through the new episodes. Because all the new episodes, are, I don't, they're all behind all the 70s episodes, all right? That's just the way it is. Because none Ooh, of the new ones are ever. Even the worst 70 episodes are still better <laughs> than these. So uh, That's, that's insane. I disagree with that <laughs> no, no, it's not. I can think of at least one 70s episode that I, we should be at the bottom. <laughs> how dare you? I know what one you're talking about, but how dare you? <laughs> all right. Um, where were we? Number 51, season 10, episode 4, Death Hits the Jackpot. Rip Torn murders his nephew so he can oh, steal his winning lottery ticket. Monkey. I know. <laughs> so uh, this is pretty high up in the uh, new episodes. The rest of the episode is not that great, but there is a chimp in it who's awesome. And the key clue, Jank, is a monkey. Uh, they, they catch the killer not because of his fingerprints, because of a monkey's fingerprints. <laughs> the greatest key clue ever. Love it. Uh, William Link, one of the co-creators, had the idea for the monkey fingerprint, and uh, he told it to Peter Falk. And I guess there was a big argument at the time when he, when he first thought about it, because people were like monkeys don't can't leave fingerprints. So William Link <laughs> called a buddy at like the forensics lab at, at uh, LAPD or whatever, and he says, "Hey, uh, can, do monkeys leave fingerprints?" And that guy says, "You know what? I actually don't know. Let me call you back." So he checked around and he called back and he says, "Not only can chimps leave fingerprints." But they, their fingerprints are, uh, like, uh, even easier to read than human fingerprints. Like, there's no way to afford Like, wow. they're easier to read, right? So he says, all right, that's a good idea. But they never used it when Link was on the show. And here uh, he was watching the new Columbo uh, episode. And here he saw a monkey. He's like, that son of a bitch stole my clue. And I guess uh, Peter Falk remembered it <laughs> all those years later, and he used a monkey clue. <laughs> Didn't give him any credit, huh? <laughs> so, he, they were talk- so he talked to Peter Falk. They were at a party or something. He's like, hey. What about that clue there, the monkey? He's like, yeah, that was uh, Jackson Gillis script or something. Like that. He said, no, it wasn't. It was my clue. I gave you that clue years ago. He said, oh, that was a good clue. <laughs> so, <laughs> the old monkey clue. Uh, good. Yep. <laughs> uh, number 50, season 9, episode 5, Uneasy Lies the Crown. This is a dentist that he kills his fella by putting uh, digitalis oh, like yeah. the crown on the tooth. And it ends up killing mm-hmm. him. This was actually a Stephen Boschko script that was written for Columbo way back in the day during, like, season one. But uh, one day, Columbo's mother was on set visiting. Peter Falk, I say Columbo's mother, but Peter Falk's mother was <laughs> on set visiting Peter Falk. And they were talking to her, showing her some of the scripts. And uh, she saw that a dentist was with a murder. She says, no one would ever believe that a dentist would kill anybody. This is a terrible idea. So Peter Falk <laughs> didn't want to do the episode. So they took the script. They put it in a drawer. Later, Stephen Bochco reworked that script for a Macmillan and Wife episode, but they still had that script in the drawer. And when they were desperate for scripts that season, uh, Peter Falk found it. They said or they found it with Bochco on it. Like, hey, let's do the Stephen Bochco script, and then uh, that's how that happened. So, <laughs> well, that was probably go. after they had made you know Cor- two Corbin Burns and the Dentist movies, where <laughs> oh, it's proven that dentists can kill people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't even remember the horror, their horror movies. <laughs> Number 49, season 10, episode 8, Butterfly in Shades of Grey. This is uh, William Shatner doing Rush Limbaugh, basically. Um, it's a Rush Limbaugh oh, yeah. parody, kind of. But I like Shatner. You know, anytime Shatner and Columbo are together, it's pretty good. So uh, I put that up pretty high. Um, yeah. At the, at the end of this, uh, Shatner uh, takes a shotgun out of the trunk of his car. He's going to murder Columbo. 
<laughs> but then the other cops come out <laughs> and they stop them. Because that is always the thing. How come these people just don't beat the fuck out of Columbo at the end of these episodes? And it's usually just Columbo and the other guy. Why don't they fuck at him? Yeah, sometimes there's cops waiting like outside, but he, they definitely yeah. have time to get a shot off. <laughs> so, uh, all right, uh, number 48, uh, season 9, episode 3, Agenda for Murder. This is Patrick McGowan. I think this episode is actually really good. This is like a 1970s hmm. Columbo. Until you get to the ending... Because he catches Patrick yeah. McGowan by bite marks on a piece of cheese. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> that will not hold up in court. No. The bite marks on a like piece of cheese. <laughs> no. Cheese is very soft. That's not going to last. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things can make marks like that on cheese. Yeah, no. No, that's not going to work. So, uh, but <laughs> Until that point, the episode I thought was really good. All right, yeah, um, I remember it definitely dragged towards the end of that one. Like I was just kind of over it before they even episode, got to the cheese. I was like, "When is he just going to get this guy and end this one already?" <laughs> episode forty-seven, season ten. Uh, or, I'm sorry, number forty-seven, season ten, episode two. Caution: murder can be hazardous to your health. This is George <laughs> Hamilton, and he, yeah. he's like he's uh, host of a TV show, Crime Stoppers. But it turns out, back in his younger days. He did porn. That's right. He did porn. <laughs> and, uh, and the so guy... The Stallone story. <laughs> and the guy who uh, got beat out for the Crime Stoppers job uh, is mad at him. So he's going to blackmail him. He's going to release the porn tapes unless he uh, gives him a job or something. So George Harrison, uh, George Hamilton... Uh, I always confuse the Beatles with this guy. <laughs> but uh, George Hamilton murders him. A little him different and, disposition. And uh, for the, he doesn't want to be exposed that he's in porn. So, Jank, I'm warning you right now, so help me. If you tell anyone I did porn, I will murder you. <laughs> you <just don't? laughs> well, I keep that to myself. <laughs> the big, uh, all for Silas, all for Silas. <laughs> the big uh, decisive clue in this is a dog uh, scratches on the car of uh, the guy's, George Hamilton's car. Oh, like that's dog. right. And again, that I don't know if that would menace. hold up. I don't know if that would hold <laughs> that up. That thing court. really fucked up that car. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Like the dog at the murder scene, like stood up on the car, like scratching at the window, and he he left scratches in the paint, and uh, they're able to match it with the dog's claws. <laughs> the dog was like fucking Wolverine, just clawing the <laughs> shit out of that car. But the reason I like this episode is there's a couple scenes where uh, Columbo does a good job investigating the murder scene, and then there's a couple scenes where you could tell he's like really. I like Columbo when he has an edge to him. When he's manipulative, mm-hmm. and he's hardcore, and he's just going after the killer, and he's uh, very, uh, you know, just sneaky. And you, there's a couple good scenes of that in here, so uh, I like this episode. Mm-hmm. In fi- uh, the final uh, uh, newer episode, the best of the newer episodes probably, uh, number 46, season 10, episode 1, Columbo Goes to College. Columbo yeah, Goes to college. That's it, definitely my favorite good. of those. Pretty good episode. I mean, but the only problem with it is the ending and they ripped it off of uh, an earlier Columbo episode. Like, uh, Columbo tells the kids, mm. the, the college kids, because the good thing about this episode is Columbo's matching wits, which, uh, matching wits with a bunch of punk college kids, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and they, they think, think they're he, getting one over on him at every turn. Yeah. Like, he's just this dopey old man. Boy, he's, he's stupid. Yeah. We're smarter <laughs> than him. But, yeah, he's getting, he tricks him at the end, but he tells them, like, uh, the... Uh, the suspect, he's like, I got an eye on a suspect. 
and he tells him the car and the license plate. So the kids go and plant evidence in the car, but it turns out that's Mrs. Columbo's car. And the only people who would know <laughs> that it's not her car are those damn college kids. And so he sets them up. They use the similar trick in an earlier, a very good episode we'll talk about later. But, uh, yeah, but that's a good episode, though. Columbo goes to college. Yeah, it was unique. I mean, they killed him with, like, a remote-controlled gun in, like, this is the side of a van. Like, it was interesting. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> those are all the new episodes. Uh, Jake, uh, would you have anyone, any other newer episodes higher? Uh, I think, you, you obviously, you like Columbo goes to college, but any, did I short shrift mm-hmm. anyone? Did you, uh... Uh, I mean, I would have that in the in the top, uh, probably definitely. I don't know, not in the top eleven, but higher than it is probably. But definitely, it's, it's better hey. than some of the seventies episodes. I'll say. Hey, well, um, again, you're you're one of these punk <laughs> kids that came along late to the game. You're not an old school Columbo guy <laughs> like me. There were years where I I just didn't even I disavowed these newer episodes even existed. They were dead <laughs> to me. So the fact that I even included yeah. them in the list, it's a step forward. You understand. Like, uh, they're included <laughs> All right, now. baby steps. Yeah, because I never even acknowledge them. So at least they're now included. So maybe later. <laughs> All right, so now we get to the uh, top uh, 40, uh, what is it, 45, if you count the movie and the other one. <clears throat> so number 45, season 5, episode 6, Last Salute to the Commodore. Last Salute Oof. to the Commodore. Yeah, this was rough. <laughs> this. I don't mind some of it because it is terrible. It is terrible. All right. This, they thought this was going to be the final Columbo because they hadn't made a new deal yet for season six. So at the end of this episode, Columbo's like uh, rowing away in a boat. And uh, they say, hey, where are you going? He's like, are you done? He's like, I'm not done yet. Not yet. So he's kind of hinting that they're going to come back. But they kind of thought this was going to be the final Columbo. Uh, but this one was directed by Patrick McGowan. And he was always big pressuring Columbo to to stretch the character, go beyond the formula, do different things, oh, no. work with your deliveries, older, more. Yeah. So this episode, uh, it's not a Columbo uh, inverted mystery. We see uh, Robert Vaughn. Everyone likes Robert Vaughn. He's great. He's a killer elsewhere yeah. in the uh, season, uh, but uh, or the uh, series. Uh, but Robert Vaughn, it opens up with him cleaning up a murder scene. So you think, oh, Robert Vaughn's the killer. But no, no, no. Then Robert Vaughn ends up getting murdered halfway through the episode. So then we find out the killer is actually some guy named Swanee. Remember Swanee? He's the killer? Yeah. I remember, like, having to rewind this one because I was like, why didn't we see him murder this guy? Like, where was the murder? I missed yeah. it. <laughs> I went back to yeah. try watching, and it's like, nope, still wasn't there. Changed the old <laughs> formula. Uh, but yeah. Columbo in this episode, not only is the mystery not a Columbo mystery, but it, it's not Columbo. He's acting very weird. No, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I think he says, like, he didn't sleep last night or something, and he's just, like, surly with everybody, even just people who had nothing to do with it. And they this also would have been the last him, episode. That would have been terrible. Uh, Patrick McGowan also wanted them to have a young sidekick in this episode, so they have that guy named uh, Mac. Remember uh, Mac? <laughs> oh, Yeah. yeah. And at the end, the young guy gets his own raincoat. And uh, Columbus, hey, you're carrying a raincoat? <laughs> yeah, I figured out what's that word, raincoat. Apparently, that guy ended up getting a, uh, a spinoff because he went to the Rockford Files. And, uh, or, uh, or he got his own series based on this. And then that was spun into the Rockford Files or something. Huh. But he was Back terrible in the Because huh? he wasn't yeah. even in the script. <laughs> like Patrick McGowan. Whenever they shot a scene with him, McGowan just improvised with that guy. Like, he just told that guy whatever to say. Like, 
so yeah, this episode's a train wreck. And it's all because of Patrick McGowan. Fuck Patrick McGowan. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. yeah. I don't like Patrick McGowan. He was probably yeah. drinking on the job, apparently. Boozing it up. All right, uh, number 44, season six, episode two, Old Fashioned Murder. Old Fashioned Murder. This is uh, Joyce Van Patten owns like a museum or something, and there's a belt buckle. Remember this whole thing? And like, is it her niece? She's kind of uh, oh, framing yeah. her niece for the murder, and then she's not framing the niece for the murder. And then uh, the niece who may or may not be her daughter. <laughs> yes. It's terrible. This episode's terrible. Uh, the reason yeah. why it's so terrible, uh, Peter Falk, because Peter Falk hired uh, two of his buddies, uh, his one lady, this lady director who uh, worked with John Cassavetes, uh, made a film with him, and then she would later go on to make uh, Ishtar. Yeah, the lady who is responsible <laughs> for Ishtar had her hand in this uh, episode of Columbo, and uh, her daughter is actually the, her daughter plays the niece slash daughter in this. Uh, that's her daughter. And, like, she was kind of uh, – and then her writing partner came in. I forget his name, but he rewrote the entire script because it was originally supposed to be a take on, like, Richard III, and then he rewrote everything, and he changed everything, and uh, the script was terrible. This episode's terrible. Don't watch it. Yeah, I, I could second that. <laughs> I, I think this is also the one where Columbo gets a haircut. Remember that, where he gets his haircut? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that – yeah, I like that part. Uh, that was a shining moment from this one. Uh, number 43, season three, episode six, Mind Over Mayhem. Uh, this one actually stars the young Jessica Walters uh, from, uh, you know, Arrested Development. Oh, um, yeah. This is Bluth, uh, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's like, uh, it's terrible. Miguel Ferrer uh, is the killer. Oh, Isn't he yeah. uh, the guy from Twin Peaks? Isn't that his daddy? Yeah. Yep. Uh, but he like runs over a dude in his driveway with his car, and then there's a little smart kid. It's about smart people at a college, and there's a robot, and I don't know. It's terrible. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, you think with a robot it would be good, but no. I actually went pull. back because I I didn't watch it during the rewatch, so I hadn't watched it in like twenty some years. So I actually went back the other night just to check to make sure is it really as bad as I thought. Yeah, it's as bad as I thought because I hate that little kid and I hate the <laughs> robot. And, like, the motive here is uh, he's killing the one guy to because <clears throat> the one guy finds out that his son, like, uh, plagiarized a, a paper or something, so he, he kills him to protect his son. But it's it's not good. <laughs> Just don't watch this one. It's awful. All right. No. Yeah, you can skip that. Um, number 42, Season 5, Episode 4, Matter of Honor. Uh, Ricardo Montalban is a bullfighter. Listen, I don't need oh, Columbo right. solving m- murders in Mexico. I don't need that. <laughs> but they heard about his famous exploits on that cruise ship. <laughs> That's right. I did like how they tied it into the cruise ship. But no, I don't yep. want to, I I don't care. But did you like this one? I don't. Again, this is another one I didn't have no. watched in 20 years. Uh, so yeah. This is another one I think where it, it seemed pretty easy to blame you know, have this guy be killed and blame it on the bull, but like <laughs> I don't know. Like how do you fuck this up, Ricardo Montalban? Yeah, I'm not a fan of this one. Uh, next, uh, number 41, season 5, episode 3, Identity Crisis. This is the Patrick McGowan one we talked about before. He murders Leslie Nielsen. It's, I don't like it. Uh, Columbo acts a little weird in it as well. There's a couple good moments, hmm. like that gas station scene you mentioned. 
And also, like, mm-hmm. the, the big gotcha clue at the end, it's because uh, Patrick McGowan didn't know that the Olympics got postponed or something, and he recorded some audio tape. But that oh, doesn't, that's right. <clears throat> but that's not proof that he murdered Leslie Nielsen. It's just proof that he was mistaken about the Olympics or something. I don't know. It doesn't really... Right. His, not, his alibi, you know, maybe yeah, his up, alibi is out the is window, but that doesn't prove yeah, it doesn't mean distinctively he where he was. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole... It's not good. I avoid that episode when I can. Although there is a foxy lady taking pictures at the boardwalk or something at, a, at an amusement park. Oh, yeah. She's a redhead with a halter top on. Big fan. Mm-hmm. All right. She almost made the top 11. All right. Uh, number, uh, number 40, season one, episode three, Dead Weight. This is my beloved Suzanne Plachette from the Bob Newhart Show and Eddie Alberts from uh, Green Acres. He's basically pe- playing like a uh, MacArthur, uh, General MacArthur kind of situation. His ivory-handled pistol, his gun. Remember all this? Like the gun? Oh, yeah. And all that stuff. Yes. Uh, I love now. Suzanne Plachette, but this episode, yeah, it's not so good. Um, again, it's another one where there's problems with the clues and the, the motivate, like the actual how the murder and the, the gun. There's issues there, uh, some logic issues. But uh, on this episode, Columbo, uh, Peter Falk, he walked off the set because he wanted to direct an episode of Columbo, and he got the studio to agree to it or something. But uh, Suzanne Plachette had known Peter Falk for years, and uh, she was so mad at him for how he behaved during the filming of this uh, that she, she didn't talk to him for one year. One year, she refused to talk <laughs> oh, to him. After they were done doing the episode, Eddie Alberts came up to Peter Falk, and he uh, said, hey, you're a hell of an actor. Uh, you know, you're a great job at what you do, but you're an asshole. <laughs> he walked <laughs> So, yeah, that's Peter Falk. Wow. All yeah, right. I went swimmingly. Uh, number 39, season one, episode six, Short Fuse, Roddy McDowell. He's like an annoying uh, uh, kid at uh, some there's some industrial, like, uh, I don't know. He's uh, His his mom got remarried, and, like, the, mm-hmm. his, his father, his stepfather, is trying to take control of the business or something. And Roddy McDowell's kind of like a screw-up and a goof-off, so he's trying to get weasel, force him out of the business or something like that. It's something like that. Yeah. So he blows up his stepdad's limo while he's driving somewhere. He, he stashes dynamite in a cigar box. And then Columbo catches him, oh, yeah. like, on a tram line uh, because Columbo is, like, has a cigar box, and he's acting like he doesn't know. Like, like it's one of the dynamite boxes or something. And yep. uh, Sir Roddy McDowell freaks out. And he's like, no. And, yeah, one of them deals. <laughs> so, it's all right. But Roddy yeah. McDowell annoyed the fuck out of me. Although I will say this. I did rewatch I didn't, this I one. didn't mind him. Yeah, I did rewatch it recently, and it's not as bad as I remember because I used to hate this one back in the day, but it it, it was enjoyable. Uh, I mean, when it wasn't terrible. So, but anyway, short. Yeah, that's fair. It doesn't uh, number, deserve to be at the top or anything. Number thirty-eight, season four, episode five, playback. Uh, this is awesome. There we Burner. go. Uh, this is your least <laughs> favorite of the seventies ones. Yeah, this I mean. I, this honestly is probably only above those, you know, first two, the terrible two. Um, <laughs> it would be right there for me. It would be like 67. Yeah, this this is all, uh, like, for me, old-fashioned murder is worse than this. I actually kind of like some of the things in Last Salute to the Commodore, even though it's so crazy and bizarre. Um, <laughs> but Mind Over Mayhem and Old Fashioned Murder are definitely my two least favorite. Matter of Honor, Identity Crisis, Deadweight, Short Fuse, Playback, they're all kind of in the same boat. 
But playback, Oscar Werner, he was in Fahrenheit 451, and I guess he had a bad reputation as an actor. No one was working with him anymore because he was a boozer and a drunk. But for some reason, Peter Falk wanted to work with him, so they brought him in. And uh, on set, guess what? He was late for uh, uh, the first day of shooting because he was a drunk, and he was boozing and he was all drunk, and they had problems. (laughs) But I guess uh, he eventually settled down, and they were able to get some work out of him. Uh, but Gina Rollins is in this. I like Gina Rollins. Um, also, uh, I thought the final clue was pretty good. Like the way he caught him because the party oh, invitation man. was in the recording. And <laughs> I kind of like that. Um, he forgot. The party I mean, invitation. this episode can fuck itself. Like, I hated all of it. Like, well, I don't care whether the guy was drunk on set or not. He was terrible. He was unmemorable. <laughs> he had the personality yeah. of a dead fish. Um, and then it was it was the easiest like the, <laughs> the plot made no sense like how could Colombo not catch this idiot like this guy <laughs> is, is you know Mr. Technology but he can't set up a video camera to show that he was there you know the murder took place a half hour later than than it did and like the wife oh, fucking heard the gunshot she calls down and is like hey I, I heard a gunshot and he's like oh don't worry about it i'm going to this party now so she heard the <laughs> fucking gunshot and then someone did get shot there so you're telling me the one night she unless she calls down every night to say oh i heard a gunshot like the one night she happens to hear a gunshot she didn't actually hear it but then a gunshot did happen later that night are you fucking kidding yeah. me all this by a guy uh, an assailant <laughs> who broke in who, and knew exactly where to stand so he wouldn't be on the video cameras. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and came yeah, in not to steal anything, just to shoot this one old woman for some reason. This is like... Uh, Who could it be? This is like Tuffy when we asked Tuffy about Star Wars. Like, you, you kind of similar <laughs> promo right there. You hate this episode. Yeah, listen, I'm not a fan of this episode either. I don't like it. But I, I do like Gina Rollins. I do like uh, this is the only episode where you see Columbo actually fire a gun because he shoots it into a box of sand. Because they're trying to do a, oh. uh, a sound thing. And also, uh, there's a scene where he's at an art gallery. And uh, w- the, one of the ladies will appear, be appearing in the top 11 later. Because, uh, <laughs> like, that Oscar Werner Ooh. guy, he talks to her when he gets to the art gallery. And then Columbo talks oh, to her. Oh, I know who you're talking about. That, yeah. yeah, the black hair. She is smoking hot. And uh, we'll talk mm-hmm. about her later. So that's why she gets this episode gets bumped up a little bit in my ratings. Because, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. It's still a terrible Bye. episode. I agree with everything you said. It's still a terrible episode. Um, all right. Uh, number 37, season six, episode three, the Bye Bye Sky High IQ Club. Uh, <laughs> terrible title. Yeah, this is a, he, basically it's Mensa. Uh, this really smart guy murders um, his uh, one business partner because he finds out he's, he's embezzling funds or something. So, uh, but he thinks he's so smart, he'll be able to make this perfect murder. And of course, Columbo catches him. But uh, it's an okay episode. Uh, yeah, but it's a, I didn't hate it. It's a season six one, and the things aren't as good. Because uh, Richard Allen uh, Simmons takes over as producer for this episode, and he does all of season seven. Some of the things he wanted changed is he wanted Columbo to be seen more as a serious threat. Because early on, Columbo would always come in like unassuming and a bumbling guy, can't find his pencil or something. And he wanted him to come in as, like, a strong adversary for these murderers. And uh, he would try to get Columbo in there maybe a little earlier even. And also he wanted to give more backstory about the murderers and Columbo in the episodes. And I, I don't know if I like hmm. that either. You can definitely see that in no. season seven. So I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, there's a couple of good moments in this. 
there's also a terrible moment where Columbo tells a 14 year old genius girl that he likes her for her, that she's very pretty. And then she says, Oh, you're the first man that's ever liked me for my mind, for my body instead of my mind. And then she runs away <laughs> and Columbo kind of like smiles knowingly. So that's a little too pizza gatey. Uh, yeah. So, I, did, I didn't take it in that way. It was, it was awkward. <laughs> um, sure. uh, it's, it's okay. Uh, there's a guy. There's a. Really it is interesting. There's, yeah, they're trying there's to test really Columbo, good... see if he's a genius. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, there's a really good Columbo website out there called ColumboFile.com. Again, it's spelled with PH, and it's not is no relation to that previous book, the Columbo File. Hmm. Uh, ColumboFile.com. It's an excellent website. They break down the episodes. They list the episodes. There's all kinds. Of, it's great. Everyone should go check it out. But the guy who runs the site, I think he said he's. I forget what country he's from. He's from somewhere overseas. But he ranks this as his number one episode. He, this is his Whoa. favorite episode. Yeah. Now, in fairness <laughs> to this flag. guy, he's kind of like uh, he admits that he's biased because this is the first episode he ever saw. So I can understand. Oh, that. sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's like You're a kid. He some... saw this. Yeah. It has a personal connection to him. So I, I'll forgive him for that, that this is his favorite episode. That's fair. But this is not a great episode of Columbo. It's okay. It's not, you know. <laughs> No, it's not There's an all-timer no by any yeah. means. No, no, no. Uh, number 36, Season 7, Episode 4, How to Dial a Murder. This is like a psychiatrist or a, uh, what is this guy? He's some professor or something. I don't know. But he's, uh, he, 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 he like trains his dogs to murder somebody with the, the keyword rosebud. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he happens to be a collector who has the fucking rosebud sled on his wall. Good, good yeah, he's move. Yeah, big movie. He's a big movie collector. He's got, like, W.C. Field stuff, Orson Welles stuff. He's got all this stuff. <laughs> there's, like, a running thread. Uh, also, this episode, there's a young girl who's, like, staying at his house. I guess he's having an affair with her or something. But uh, that's Kim Cattrall, mm-hmm. uh, if you ever noticed. That's, uh, oh, that's right. The young Kim Cattrall. And uh, also, there's a lady in this who trains the dogs. Because Columbo gets the dogs retrained so they don't kill people. Yeah. And that lady is smoking hot as well. She almost made the top 11, so you might want to check her out. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and dog Columbo's dog has a nice little part in this. Like he he asks her, "Hey, do you think you could make my dog a uh, a killing machine here?" And she's like, "Yeah, you might want to <laughs> might want to just take up kung fu." And then she walks away. Or something. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, <good old> <laughs> um, number thirty five, season two, episode four, Dagger of the Mind. Columbo goes to London, and uh, oh yeah. This this episode's kind of a drag. I don't know. There's some good stuff in it, but it's just kind of dull and boring. And the 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 finale, Columbo like flicks a bead into a into an umbrella. Uh, that's entrapment. Yeah, like a pearl. Yeah, that's what yeah. that is. It's entrapment. You Maybe not in England. Maybe they have different <laughs> yeah, you know different police laws there. <laughs> but I do like this episode because uh, the lady in this is Honor Blackman, uh, Pussy Galore herself from Goldfinger. That's uh, Pussy Galore. Oh. So, uh, let's see her in there. Look but yeah, it's kind of a dull episode. I'm not a huge... Do you like this episode? I mean, it's okay, but it's... No. Yeah, it was weird. Like, he's just kind of visiting Scotland Yard or something. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a strange one for Columbo. Yeah, for sure. I like Columbo staying in L.A., just picking off rich people. Yeah. Rich mobs. That's what I like. All right, uh, number yep. 34, season 7, episode 5, The Conspirators. This was the final episode of the original run. Uh, he gets Ooh, into it yeah, with, like... Oh, yeah, this was not good. An Irish fella in the IRA and running yeah, guns or something. Yeah, who's like running guns, yeah. 
it's okay. There's a couple good moments, but uh, you know, it, it's again. Yeah, I think there was a part hairs. where they were doing limericks or something. <laughs> I think they were getting drunk yeah. and doing limericks. That was pretty good, but it's tough to rank these. You know, but it's better to put these in tiers, maybe like excellent, good, because doing they're all the same yeah. in like thirty, whatever. But uh, however you want to put them is fine. But this is not one of the best episodes. It's towards the bottom of the original forty-three. Uh, number sure. thirty-three. Yeah, I would agree. Season 7, Episode 3, Make Me a Perfect Murder. This is the lady TV executive. Uh, she kills her fella uh, who doesn't give her the promotion she wanted. And uh, <laughs> Columbo has a neck brace in, throughout this. Cause it, uh, oh, yeah. The first he got scene a car is him the getting rear-ended. Yeah. Again, that was them getting Columbo in early in the episode. And, and also, we get a ton of backstory about this lady. Again, blame Richard Allen Simmons for all that. Uh, but, <laughs> but I like this lady a lot. And we'll talk about her later, if you know what I'm saying. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. Number 32, Season 1, Episode 5, Lady in Waiting. Uh, this is Susan Clark, the mother on uh, Webster. Uh, she plays like <laughs> a, uh, a lady who kills her brother so she can get control of the family business or something. And Leslie Nielsen is her boyfriend. She sets it up so it looks – she rigs it so he has, her brother has to – they live together and her brother has to come in through, like, the, win, the door – uh, because she hides his key or something, and she shoots him, saying that she thought it was a burglar because the alarm was going off and all the shit. You remember this? And, um, oh yeah, yeah, that was the early episode. Yeah, yeah. I like Susan. Clark. I like that she one. Clem, like uh, Leslie Nielsen was like her boyfriend, but then he kind of just turns on her. He's like, yeah, she's gone nuts. <laughs> yeah, because she's real mousy at the beginning of it, and then uh, she gets all sexy and vampy <laughs> towards the end. Like she's wearing all these mod clothing and stuff. I, I like it. Mm-hmm. But it's a little dull at times. Uh, also, at the end, like when Columbo catches her, uh, she pulls a gun on him. And she's going to kill Columbo. And he says, oh, oh, you yeah. don't want to do that. You're a classy lady. <laughs> and she gives him the gun. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're a classy lady. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, you got me. <laughs> uh, number 31. I do appreciate that. That was always good when like, they would kind of just, you know, see reason. Like these were, you yeah. know, they, they realized they're busted higher. and just go down. That episode bounced around my ratings. It, it had it higher than lower. I don't know, but whatever. It's okay. Uh, number yeah, 31, season 5, episode special. 2, Case of Immunity. Uh, Columbo gets involved in Ooh. some uh, fictional Mideastern. It's not a great episode. Uh, no. But the reason I put it as high as it does, <laughs> there's a foxy lady in it, and I didn't put her in my top 11. She did, just missed the cut, so I feel bad. But she's like the secretary of like the guy who gets murdered, so Columbo talks to her a few times. She brings him coffee and everything. Her name was uh, Brioni <laughs> Farrell. Uh, yeah, she's real foxy. Uh, but otherwise, uh, Hector Elizondo is the killer. And, uh, yeah. But it, it is an interesting one because Columbo technically doesn't catch him. He, he can't prove that he did the murder. <laughs> That's right. But he, he has enough evidence to tell his, uh, his, uh, like the leader of his country, uh, you know, I think he did it. So that guy is going to, will punish him. So if they go yeah, back. Yeah, it's going to get way country, worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, he's gonna get he tortured confesses. if he goes back home. So he confesses, and so that's how Columbo catches him. So that's a little tricky, a little clever. Uh, number thirty, yeah. episode season two, the episode, episode seven, the most tedious. Though. Next up, the most dangerous match. That one about the chess, uh, the American chess player who thinks he kills the oh, Russian right. chess guy uh, because he's nervous about playing him in a match. So he throws him in like a garbage compactor, but he's deaf, and he couldn't tell that the machine wasn't rock working at the time. Remember this? Uh, <laughs> That's right, yep. <laughs> it's pretty good. later on with the garbage. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. good. 
I guess uh, people that don't like the episode say even if his hearing aid wasn't working and he's deaf, he should still be able to tell the machine's on by the vibrations because it's an enormous machine, and he you think he would still be able to tell. (laughs) But um, anyway. Well, didn't he throw Uh, it down like a chute? He wasn't right by the machine, was he? He shoves him through, like, some doors into the machine. So, like, some flappy doors or something shut so he can't see in. And, uh, but the old guy gets... And the old guy, he's, like, in a coma, so he can't, conf- like, tell who pushed him in or whatever. But Columbo catches him because Columbo's awesome. Uh, yeah. Number 29, Season 7, Episode 2, Murder Under Glass. Uh, this is that guy, that chef. Uh, Columbo goes around, like, uh, sampling all these different restaurants because all these restaurant owners want Columbo to catch the killer. Um, yeah. So pretty, oh, that was great. some pretty good jokes. They all give him yeah, food. I loved it. I'm not crazy about the ending, though. That's why it gets a little lower. Because he, like, he does a thing where the poison bottle opener, and, like, he switches it around, and he's drinking the glass. And it's like, yeah, you could have mm-hmm. killed yourself, Columbo, if you had a little mix-up there with the glasses. I'm, <laughs> yep. I'm not crazy about that. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's a dangerous game. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we're getting we're getting close there. We're into the uh, top thirty. How you doing, Jake? Because we're into the third hour of the show, so we go one. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get hanging in there. So we're not going to have a lot of yeah. time to talk about. Well, there's not a lot to say there. So. No, there really isn't. Yeah, there really isn't. Uh, all right, so <laughs> number twenty nine, uh, or no, twenty eight, uh, season six, episode one, fade into murder. This is William Shatner playing Detective Lucerne. Mm. Uh, the episode's not great because uh, Shatner kind of undercuts the murder by basically admitting that, he, like, he says, what if I did this or something? And he's trying to say, I don't know. It's a little weird. <laughs> well, yeah, he goes uh, crazy but, at the end. Like, he's, like, interviewing himself pretty much, like, <laughs> yeah, like asking himself but, questions as the detective still, and then as him, the suspect. But Shatner's always great. And so seeing him and Columbo together. Yeah. And also, there's a lot of in-jokes here. If you watch this again and listen mm-hmm. to the dialogue, because they're making fun of Lucerne for being a moody actor. He's always demanding stuff. <laughs> they're talking about Peter Falk, you know? <laughs> and, and so a lot of in-jokes. And also, yep. uh, Chekhov is also in this episode from Star Trek. Old Chekhov. Oh, and, shit. Uh, yeah. Like, Walter he plays, like, a security Chaney? guard or a police officer or something. I can't remember. But, uh... Chekhov said uh, he did, he shot different scenes. He didn't shoot any scenes with Shatner, but they did ride to the cafeteria one day in a golf cart together. And Chekhov says uh, he was pretty sure Shatner did not remember his name. Because <laughs> 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 this was between this was between Star Trek and the movies, you know, like so he hadn't yep. seen him. And because Star Trek was three seasons in what, like sixty five or sixty eight something. Yeah, that sounds about right. So it was probably about seven, eight something. years later, and, and he, he's convinced that Shatner did not know him. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he at least remembered that he worked with him. And he's like, hey, I'm meeting you for the first time. Uh, 27, we got the pilot, Ransom for a Dead Man, Lee Grant. Uh, she, uh, was it, who did she kill? I can't even remember, because I watched this 20-some years ago. Uh, she kill, Was she kill her, her husband? Uh, or, I can't remember. Yeah, like her older husband. I, yeah, I don't know. This was yeah, one of the last ones I actually watched, and I still don't remember. <laughs> and, and Lee Grant was Foxy back then. And, uh, like, her niece, I think it's her, is it her daughter? Or her niece, like, kind of works with Columbo to catch her or something? I can't remember. Oh, that's but, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. She's just going off to, like, yeah, school or something like that. But There's a pretty good scene where uh, 
Columbo's up in a plane because she's also a pilot and she takes him on a flight and Columbo's getting airsick in the plane and that's pretty good. <laughs> um, uh, number 26, we've got the movie Prescription Murder. Uh, now, this is a different mm-hmm. Columbo. Like, if you watch this Columbo, you're, he doesn't do all the... Uh, this isn't a very lovable Columbo with all the little idiot sneakers and everything. This is a hard-edged Columbo. And I love this. Yeah. Like, there's a part where he, <laughs> he gets, gets the lady... He gets up uh, in one, the lady's face, yeah. Yeah, he really tears into her. And it's awesome. Uh, but the ending's a little questionable. Like, the switcheroo, and he, he... They switch... They pretend that the girl dies so he can get the real killer to say he never loved the girl. And then that girl's still mm-hmm. alive, and she hears him, and yeah, so it's a little different. And that ending's different than the play version. Like, they changed the ending from the play, because the ending in the play wasn't even that good. <laughs> the ending in the play <laughs> Oh, no. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I also remember not, not enjoying the fact that, like, it was just, like your introduction to Columbo, and, like, the killer has to call him out on his stuff, like, oh, you're just pretending to be a, a simpleton, but you're really very smart. It's like, oh, you have to... <laughs> You have to put it right on Front Street like that. Can't we let the audience figure it out? Oh well, again they, uh, again they thought they were doing a one-shot movie, so they kind of need to, I guess, you know, <laughs> let it play out over time. They thought this was the only shot. But yeah, I hear you. It shouldn't be so obvious with it. Uh, number twenty-four, season two, episode six, a stitch in crime. Uh, Leonard Nimoy is a surgeon who. Uh, mm, yeah. He's planning to kill his, a fella by using the dissolvable sutures. But then a nurse catches on, so then he has to murder the nurse, and then uh, Columbo yeah. comes in and catches him. It has a great ending, like because uh, uh, Columbo makes him do an operation to repair the, uh, or or he does. Columbo doesn't make him do it, but he knows he's going to get caught because if the suture dissolves, Columbo's up on. He's aware of it. He says, "Yeah, I'm going to get mm-hmm. you for murder." There's those all. So he uh, has the patient, the heart patient, who's uh, like have go into like an emergency surgery to replace the sutures. And then Columbo says, ah, grab his hand, don't let him throw it. And they search his body, and they can't find the uh, suture on him anywhere. But here he stuffed it in Columbo's pocket when he was, like, wrestling. Yeah. That's a good ending. (laughs) That was really good, yeah. And this is also one of the few episodes where Columbo actually uh, gets mad at somebody. Like, we mentioned he gets mad at that lady in Prescription Murder, but he was really doing that just to lean on her because he knew she was the weak Mm -hmm. link. He wasn't really mad at her. Like, uh, in turn, it's kind of more of a show. But here he's mad at Leonard Nimoy. Like, he, there's a scene where he, like, slams something down on Leonard Nimoy's desk and he's yelling at him. He's like, ah, I want to get you. So uh, it's one of the rare <laughs> yeah. times where he yells at a murderer. I just didn't think yeah. Leonard Nimoy was that great in this. Like, I thought it was kind of boring with Nimoy. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's kind of what Leonard Nimoy did, though. Yeah. So he was doing his Leonard Nimoy thing. I think if this was a better actor, it would have been a better episode, but whatever. Um... Eh, I thought it number was for like a scary killer doctor. Oh, you know what? I skipped one. Uh, number twenty-five, season five, episode one, Forgotten Lady. This is the one with Janet Lee, where she's the aging actress, and she kills her husband because she wants oh, to go yeah. back to the movies one last time. It's a one very of the wildest episode. endings. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know if it's well, but he he knows she did it, and he's going to catch yeah. her. But uh, the lady's co-star in all her old films still loves her, and he confesses. Because he knows that she has, like, Alzheimer's or, and she's going to die soon. So he confesses so she doesn't have to go through this trial and everything. They'll just delay mm-hmm. things long enough until she dies. Uh, and Columbo goes along with it because she's a nice lady and everything, whatever, even though she's a murderer. Yeah. But, uh, it's pretty it's unethical, very good though. But <laughs> it's a very good episode. Uh, it's very strong. But I just don't like when he goes after killers who aren't 
who are sympathetic. I like when he goes after killers who are arrogant and pricks, and you want to see them no, get caught. No, like the college kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, uh, <clears throat> there's just something missing when he's chasing an old lady who can't remember things. It's just not the same. <laughs> yeah. You know? That is that is kind of upsetting. Although this had the great scene where he was like trying to see if she could uh, make the jump from the tree, yep. and then like dog is hanging out underneath him and won't get yeah. out of the way. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's hanging, really stuck hanging there forever. Get out of there, dog! Get out of there. <laughs> There's also a great scene where he gets his buddy from the police force to go take the shooting test for him because he hasn't he hasn't shot his gun in like eight years. He never does the shooting exam, <laughs> so he gives his buddy five yeah. bucks to go to the pistol <laughs> yeah. range. And shoot for him. And it's Columbo. He's like the Vic <laughs> Mackey of this department. <laughs> um, number uh, 23, Requiem for a Falling Star, uh, Season 2, Episode 5. This is Ann Baxter. Uh, again, this mm. is filmed on Universal Studios. Lot. She's an old movie star who murder, had murdered her husband back in the day, and she buried him under a fountain in their backyard. And uh, Columbo eventually finds it all out. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, she plays an actress named Nora Chandler, and Columbo's like enamored with her because he, he was a big fan of her work and everything. So, yeah, Mrs. Columbo will never believe this. Yeah. <laughs> Number twenty-two, season two, episode eight, Double Shock. Martin Landau plays twins, and he murders his uncle. <laughs> he throws an electric blender into his bath. A couple things about this episode <laughs> has Julie Newmar in it. Lord help me, I love mm-hmm. Julie Newmar. And also, uh, there's a, a scene. Where Landau, one of the Landau's is a cooking TV show host, and uh, Columbo goes on his show, and they cook together. This is another one of those scenes added to add up the, the episode two hours. But uh, it's a, they ad-lib the entire scene, and it's pretty funny, the Columbo cooking. Yeah. I like that. I was like, uh, the killers, like, bring him up on stage, which I'm sure we'll hear about yeah, him later. Yeah, Santini, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great yeah. scene, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, number... Uh, <laughs> 21, season one, episode two, Death Lends a Hand. This is the first first uh, Robert Culp episode. He's a security expert who is, uh, he's, he's leveraging um, this one lady for blackmail, uh, but she says, you know what, I'm just going to tell my, because her husband in, uh, hired Culp to investigate her. He thought he was having a, she was having an affair. Culp told her husband that, no, she's not having an affair, but he's actually going to blackmail her. Uh, and she says, no, I'm just going to admit that I did the affair. And he smacks her across the face with his hand, and he has a ring on his finger, and it cuts her cheek. And so that's the big clue, and Columbo eventually catches him. But uh, Yeah. I think this was uh, the second episode, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember there being some cool camera stuff in this one where, like, it was, like, freeze frame on Robert Culp's face with his glasses, and you just, like, see, like, him doing stuff in the, the reflection of the glasses. Like, it was cool. And uh, this was also a, uh, another one where he gets trapped because Columbo plants a contact lens in the trunk of a car. <laughs> and it's a fake, like, it's not the real contact lens, and he planted it. And yep. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, come on. Come on, Columbo, you can't be doing that. He's here. breaking the rules early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, hey, that, that episode won a... Uh, an Emmy for Best uh, Script, uh, Levinson and Lincoln. Oh. That year, that first season, all four nominees in Best Writing for the Emmys in a Drama Series were Columbo episodes. And Levinson Holy and hell. Lincoln won. Yeah, they won for Deadly State or uh, Death Lends a Hand. <laughs> and Peter Michelle Falk won the Bauer Emmy that, of that category. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Peter Falk won the Emmy that year as well, and they won Best Series as well, I think, that year. So, 
Uh, number uh, 20, season four, episode six, Deadly State of Mind. This is the first George Hamilton one where he's the psychiatrist and Leslie Ann Warren is his patient and they're having an affair and he, they end up killing her husband. And then she's like going to crack and like uh, give it away. So he, he, brain, he like hypnotizes her to kill herself, jump off the building. Yeah, to jump out of the window. Yeah. Yeah. You're just going for a swim. And the ending... <laughs> And the ending, uh, Levinson, I can't remember if it was Levinson or Link. One of them had this ending before, and they could never use it. So they gave it to them for this, uh, the creators for this episode. Uh, but uh, it's where Hamilton, when he's fleeing the murder scene, he thinks he, – well, he does. He sees a, a blind man. So, But here he doesn't oh, know that that God. blind man has a brother. So at the end, Columbo has that guy there. George Hamilton thinks it's the blind guy, and, uh, but he's not. This guy can see, and Columbo's like, the only way you would know that this is, you think he's blind is if you were there with that day. And, uh, so <laughs> and the fact that he's currently wearing sunglasses indoors and, like, acting like a blind guy. <laughs> that might yeah. also make you think he's a blind guy. But still. Uh, <laughs> he's, like, touching but, people on the face. But they, 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 they caught him. They tricked That's all that matters. They caught him. That's all that matters. All right. Uh, number <laughs> Number 19, Season 1, Episode 7, Blueprint for Murder. Uh, Peter Falk directed this episode. Because this was one of the deals he had with the studios. He said he was supposed to direct an episode, so he directed this one. Levinson and Link, in order to get back at him for being so difficult and everything else, they gave him the episode that they thought would be the hardest to direct. Because uh, it's set at a construction site. And, like, where do you put the cameras and everything? So, uh this was the biggest budget for the season, and so they wanted to get back. But Columbo did a good job. Uh, Peter Falk did a good job. This is a uh, pretty yeah. good episode. Um, this is the one where the guy murders uh, his, his partner, whatever, Forrest Tucker, and he buries him. And Columbo thinks he's buried uh, underneath, like, the building. They're laying the foundation for a new building. Columbo thinks he put him in there, uh, but he didn't. Yep. So they dig it all up, but then that guy goes to put the body back in the hole, <laughs> since it's been checked, and that's when they catch him. That's when they Yeah. It's pretty much the good version of Columbo Cries Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now that you mention it, yes. <laughs> yeah. There's also a lady in here named Goldie who was pretty entertaining because uh, she was like Forrest Tucker's ex-wife or something. And uh, she was always telling Columbo oh, yeah. that, that he was murdered. Uh, number 18, uh, season seven, episode one, Try and Catch Me. This is Ruth Gordon. Again, this is a really good episode. Ruth Gordon is like an Agatha Christie, a mystery author lady who murders her, uh, was it her son-in-law? Because he, she was convinced that he murdered her daughter, right? Yeah. that how it went? Yep, that was it. And she locks him in like I'm a in closet. Her safe. Like a, yeah, like a vault. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and he suffocates. But he puts some clues in there. He like scratches uh, an arrow in the paint or something. He puts a, a slip of paper up in the light bulb. Remember this? Like all that stuff? Yep. I haven't watched oh, this yeah. one in like 20 years. It was pretty good. But it's a good. Yeah, it's a really good episode. Again, it's a really good episode because uh, Ruth Gordon and Columbo play off each other really well. And there's a great scene where uh, she tells Columbo, "You know, you're a really kind man," or something. And he says, "I wouldn't bet on that. I wouldn't bet on that." <laughs> I got well, a really catch good it. ending. I remember. I know you don't like the ones where like the killers are sympathetic, but she says at the yeah. end, like, "Like if you had investigated my daughter's case, like I probably wouldn't yes. have had to do this." <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a great episode. You're a good detective. It's a great episode. And if someone wants to have this in their personal top 11, no problems with that at all. But again, I like when he goes after the uh, non-sympathetic killers, uh, the smug assholes. Mm -hmm. so, 
Uh, yeah, I like six. that. I like either the episodes. I like either extreme kind of when he goes after the real assholes or the ones that he kind of gets along with. I like both of those. Uh, number 17, uh, season four, episode three, by Dawn's Early Light. We mentioned this again, the Patrick McGowan Military oh, yeah. Academy one. This is just a rock-solid episode, start to finish. Uh, it's yeah. really well done. Good ending. Um, yeah. It involves a cannon blowing up, and Columbo proves that uh, he, he proves that uh, McGowan did it, because the only way he could know that they were doing moonshine, that these students were making their own booze, <laughs> Is because uh, they had it, the the bottle of cider hanging out the window or something, and the only way he could see it mm-hmm. was if he was standing exactly where he had to be to rig the cannon to explode. So yeah, uh, and they only have it up at like you know certain times of the morning so that no one will ever catch him. Yeah. And it was you know because he was up there monkeying with the cannon before anybody woke up. Yeah, I, I just don't have it higher on my list because I'm not a fan of Patrick McGowan. Uh, like I just yeah, don't that's really fair. I mean, he was good in this episode because he's supposed to be playing, like, an uptight military man, so it works for that. It's just a shame that all of his characters were like that. (laughs) Hey, uh, he wasn't the first choice to do this. Actually, the the first choice was Ed Asner, Lou Grant of Mary Tyler Moore. He was supposed to do it, but uh, Lou Grant, (laughs) good old Ed Asner, he got pissed because uh, Columbo was pulling, or Peter Falk was pulling his uh, contract stuff with the studios, and so he said, fuck it, I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) So they got Patrick McGowan, and that they didn't think Patrick McGowan would be a big enough name because people wouldn't know him enough from the, what he did over in England. But uh, they went with him, and it worked out. <laughs> right. It yeah, it's a great. Well, that's a great episode, though. All right, yeah. number uh, yeah. numbers. How about Lou Grant though? Is the kid? That would be something. See Lou Grant. Yeah, I would. I would. I would love that. Um. Oh, the Janet Lee one. Uh. Uh, the guy who was supposed to play, they, they wanted Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers to be uh, the Janet Lee and the male guy in that, you know, the former co-stars, but Fred Astaire oh, didn't want okay. anything to do with it. So, uh, so then they, someone knew Janet Lee and she had done those kind of films before. So like, Oh yeah, let's get Janet Lee. And then uh, they asked Dick Van Dyke to come back and Dick Van Dyke said Ooh. he did not want to play second fiddle to Peter Falk again. So he did not. <laughs> Man, no one liked it. People hated Peter Falk. <laughs> Um, so season, uh, or number 16, season two, episode three, the most crucial game. This is Robert Culp as uh, the football general manager of a football team. He murders, uh, Dean Stockwell, <laughs> right? With the big ice cube. Yeah. Hits him uh, over the head with it in the swimming pool and he drowns. It's a great murder. Uh, Valerie Harper is also in this episode. I'm a big fan of this episode. This is also the episode where uh, Columbo says, uh, Hey, how much you pay for those shoes? Because he gets his shoes wet and he needs to get his shoes. And he ad-libbed that line that was not written for him. He just ad-libbed that. Hey, how'd you pay for those shoes? Um, but the problem with this episode is, again, this is another one where he just punct- uh, punctures a hole in the alibi, but he doesn't prove that Culp did the murder in any way. But, like, there's the one, the clock in Robert Culp's office doesn't bong or something, you know, when it's supposed to, and according to the alibi. Because so, he actually he yeah. said he called the house from his office, but actually he called it from a payphone. And so the lack of the clock proves his alibi is a lie. But, again, it doesn't prove that he actually <laughs> did the killing. But, anyway. I guess maybe they just get flustered at that point. They're just like, oh, fuck yeah. it. I did it. <laughs> but it's a, it's a very entertaining episode. I'm a big fan. Um, number 15, season three, episode one, Lovely But Lethal. Vera Miles is like a makeup uh, expert. She's a former film star, a makeup lady, and uh, a young uh, Martin Sheen is a uh, scientist who discovers an anti-aging cream 
and he won't give her the formula because oh, yeah. they were former lovers, and he's getting back at her. And so he, she conks him over the head with a microscope and kills him by, by accident. And uh, so Columbo has to put the screws to her throughout the episode. It's a great – I love this episode. I, I watched it a lot recently, just over and over, because uh, I don't know. Vincent I need to Price watch that again because I don't remember a lot of it. Oh, yeah, not, Vincent Price. That's right. Yeah, he's, he's in it a little bit. And the big clue is, like, she has poison ivy on her hand, and uh, Columbo also gets poison ivy because that microscope had poison mm-hmm. ivy, like a, this – this, he was studying poison ivy or something, and um, so I don't. People, it's not most people don't love. It. I, I I have a fondness for it because there's some good scenes in here. Um, okay. There, there's one scene where Columbus chasing her all around her little fat farm place that she runs, and she to get rid of him, she ducks into this <gasps> oh, place yeah. where there's a bunch of nudists, and he walks in and he gets all <laughs> yeah. bashful and stuff, and he's like, all right, all right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> right. That was pretty good. Uh, number 14, season 2, episode 2, Greenhouse Jungle, Ray Milan. Uh, this is the second episode he's in. He was also in the, uh, the one Death Lends a Hand. He played the father of the lady who was murdered. Or no, the husband of the lady who was murdered um, by Robert Culp. But in this one, he's the guy who uh, murders his nephew because his nephew has a trust fund or something. And uh, he can't, so he, he uh, tells his nephew, we'll concoct this fake kidnap plot. We'll get the money out of your trust fund. And uh, then you can use the money to woo back your wife who's running around with all these other dudes. And uh, he's like, yeah, that's what we'll do. So then he kills his nephew, though, and keeps the money for himself. Uh, But Columbo catches him. And uh, his big thing is uh, he has a greenhouse with orchids and everything, and Columbo brings a plant to him. He's like, hey, do you think you can help this plant and everything? Uh, It's a great (laughs) – I love this episode, yeah. I always wonder about those type of things. Like, did he have that plant or did he, like, purposely kill a plant? So he had a reason See, to go over there. In my mind, he he manipulates everything. So that's that's something he just he wanted an excuse to get there. So he went and bought a plant, mm-hmm. you know, a dead plant or something, and he took it there. But I think the way the writers saw it, they this is all little bits from his home. But in the way I would write it, he's manipulating everything, and it's all fake. Like he doesn't <laughs> even have a wife. Yep. The wife doesn't exist. He just makes it all up. <laughs> but of course, he obviously has a wife. But um, yeah, he definitely does. Yeah, he definitely does. But in my mind, he doesn't. <laughs> All right? <laughs> it makes it so much better. So much better. I mean, from a writing perspective, I can see that being better. But for him as a person, I'm glad he has a wife. <laughs> no, I want him to go home at night would... at, in, in a lonely room all by himself, just uh, you know, drink, eating tofu and drinking sparkling water <laughs> and thinking out ways to catch killers, just like me. You know? That's how you do <laughs> Maybe that'll be my that'll be my gimmick from now on. I'm just telling people I have a wife at home. That'll be my gimmick. Ah, uh, you know the there wife, you go. the old ball and chain, and my dog. I can't go out tonight, guys. Uh, the wife won't let me. And I got to take the dog why. to the vet. You know, hey, <laughs> yeah, that, that's gonna be my new thing. Yeah, how about that? All right. Uh, number Instead thirteen. Of the magazine, you got a wife. <laughs> number thirteen, season three, episode two. Any old port in a storm. Uh, Donald Pleasance is a uh, Carcini and the wine uh, guy. And his brother, his younger brother, wants to get rid of the family's winery. And uh, Donald Pleasance is like, the hell you will, and he kills his brother. And he, uh, yeah, he, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, this rock solid tremendous. episode. Very good episode. If you want to put this in your top 11, number one even, that's fine with me. But, uh, again, Donald Pleasance is kind of a sympathetic murderer, uh, murderer here, so it's not the same for me. It's not the same. 
Well, I mean, he's sympathetic, I guess, in the fact that he didn't want to lose the company, but he, yeah. you know, he's not like not like the best guy, it seems like. <laughs> well, yeah, he did, kill, he did kill his brother. That is a, that's a red flag. Yeah. Even but, though uh, the people he works for work for him don't seem that thrilled about him. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the first episode where uh, Columbo uh, whistles uh, this old man. This is the very first episode this old man has ever mm. sung or anything on the show. And, uh, wow, yeah, again, this is something... This is something Peter Falk improvised on the scene. He just ad-libbed it. He was waiting. He, he has to call. He's trying to get the weather for a, a certain day because it's a key clue whether it rained or not. And he's calling oh, yeah. some like weather service. And when he's waiting on hold, he starts whistling this old man. And I think that's where he did it. So that's how it wow. all started. And that's just Peter Falk out of his own mind because he liked that song and he would just whistle it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, at least half of his ideas were very good. <laughs> yes, it was either home runs or striking out. <laughs> That's what yeah. um, also, th- this episode is a great ending, though, because Colombo likes uh, Donald Pleasance, Carcini. Yeah. And, like, at the end, he even shares a drink of wine with him, you know, in the car. He's like, yeah, he's like, he knows this is going to be the guy's last fucking drink of wine, probably forever, yeah. unless it's, like, toilet wine. So... Might as well let him enjoy it. Toilet wine. I like that. In your head cannon, uh, Carcini's in prison making toilet wine. Yep. That's pretty good. Cooking up Pruno. <laughs> um, number 12, season 3, episode 5, Publisher Parish. This is uh, Jack Cassidy. He's a publisher, and his big uh, mystery writer is about to jump ship to go to a different publisher, and the mystery writer is played by Mickey Spillane, the guy who created Mike Hammer. And... Uh, so uh, Cassie Hot gets a, some Vietnam vet to kill uh, um, Mickey Spillane, and then he ends up having to kill that guy to cover it up. And uh, Columbo, mm-hmm. again, Cassidy is the perfect uh, Columbo foil because he's all smooth and fancy, well-dressed, uh, suave and arrogant and a prick. <laughs> and he's the best Columbo <laughs> villain for those reasons. And yeah, but I think you're right to have this the lesser of the three. Yes, this is the number three of the three Cassidy's. But yeah. Still very good. All right, number 11, A Friend Indeed. Uh, this is Richard Kiley is the murderer. He played Don Quixote on uh, Broadway, I guess, Man of La Mancha, because <laughs> I had no idea who he was. But uh, he's like the police commissioner <laughs> who his best friend ends up murdering his wife. Oh, and, uh, God, he, yeah. He, it was the season three. finale of season three, I think, right? Uh, season uh, three, episode eight, yeah, the final one. Yeah. And he uh, he talks to, uh, so his best friend kills his wife because she was, was she cheating on him or something? And he just got mad and accidentally killed her. He didn't mean to. So he calls the commissioner and he's like, no. I fucked up. I killed my wife. What should I do? And the commissioner just happens to be married to an old battle axe. So he doesn't like <laughs> Yeah. So he says, hey, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm going to cover up your murder. You're going to murder my wife for me. And then it'll be, it'll be aces. It'll be great. Uh, but I, Columbo eventually catches him. And I have an audio clip here of this. Uh, let's play some audio clips while we can Ooh, before nice. the switchboard shuts off. Because the ending of this is one of my favorites. Uh, I just have to this is great. Uh, what would I have had this under? Columbo? Oh, here it is. It's a minute long, but this is Columbo at the very end when he catches the uh, killer, the police commissioner. He doesn't live here. I live here. These are my shirts. That's my underwear. 
My brother-in-law. It's my nephew, my niece. I haven't lived there long. Just moved in. You see, the apartment was vacant for three weeks. I just signed the lease. You looked in the closet. Those were my pajamas and my bathrobe. The file folder, the, the report on the desk. Yes, sir, I'll have to take responsibility for that. You see, I persuaded Mr. Jessup to telephone Mr. Caldwell, knowing that Caldwell would contact you. I was sure that once you knew the true identity of the burglar, you'd try and incriminate him. So this morning, very early, just after I signed the lease, I made up a new file folder on Mr. Jessup. Everything was the same, except this address. Only one person beside myself knew this address. That was you, sir. Yeah, he caught it. See, that's where <laughs> they got the uh, Columbo Goes to College. They ripped it off of a friend indeed. Because ah, Columbo set it okay. up. Columbo gave the police, the police commissioner, he let him hear there's a uh, address. So the commissioner thought that this was the jewel thief's address at this old rundown, like, terrible motel, like, uh, a $10 a week hotel or whatever. And uh, <laughs> so he plants, the, he plants the evidence in the hotel room thinking he caught that guy. He's going to frame that guy for the murder. And Columbus like, nah, that's a, these are my shirts. These are my, my underwear. <laughs> Those are Mrs. Columbo's panties. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, it's so good. All right, uh, number yep. 10. Good ending. It's worth recycling uh, a good ending like that. Season 1, Episode 1, Murder by the Book. Jack Cassidy's the killer. Uh, this is the very mm. first episode of Columbo. This was actually going to be number 2. Uh, this is the second one film, but Steven Spielberg was the director. He directed this episode, a 24-year-old Steven Spielberg. Uh, this is one of the first things he did. Well, a year, like three years before Jaws, I think. Well, about right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's done by Peter Falk said he loved working with Spielberg. And this, this episode has a distinctive look. It doesn't look like any other Columbo episodes. Falk says there's a That's scene true. that they did where Peter Falk, for the first time and the only time in his career, he did not know where the camera was. He says he thinks Spielberg <laughs> had it across the street somewhere. He wasn't sure, but he had no idea where the camera was. Uh, this episode's great Um, again the story's about a a mystery writing duo like Levinson and Link and one of them uh, Jack Cassidy's the guy he's he's the front man he does all the publicity appearances and everything but he's not really the writer of the duo the other guy writes all the books (laughs) and he's getting kind of mad you know he does all the work and Cassidy's getting all the glory so he says he's going to split up they're going to go their separate ways and Cassidy says yeah no problem don't worry about it yeah but Cassidy kills and uh uh, it's pretty great. So we have a, we have one clip here of uh, Jack Cassidy talking to Columbo, and this is uh, when Columbo's talking to him about possible motives for the murder and stuff. But if that's true, why did they get rid of the body? Well, who knows? But remember one thing, without a corpus delecti, you can't prove a murder was committed in the first place. But why would a professional killer care? I mean, he's already on a plane back from where he came. I can't answer all of your questions. I've given you a list of the most likely suspects. A clear motive. Isn't that enough to start with? Oh, that's plenty. And believe me, I'm very grateful for all the help you've given me. Gee, that's funny. What? Well, this thing is folded lengthwise like someone was carrying it in their pocket. So? Well, if he typed that on that typewriter, and I'll run a check on that... 
Why would he fold it up before he put it in that drawer? Oh, I'm beginning to like you. Yeah, there it is. Columbo and Jack Cat. <laughs> uh, now, yeah. now, that wasn't a... Uh, that wasn't the classic one more thing, but he said, hey, that's odd. That's a thing in Columbus. But the, Columbus is famous for saying, mm-hmm. uh, well, one more thing. You come back in the room. The reason that started is because Levinson and Link, when they were writing Prescription Murder, they uh, had a scene that was too short. They needed to pump it up. And uh, so they're like, oh, they could have Columbo ask him about the wife's dress or something. But they didn't want to retype the whole scene because this was back in the days of typing, you know, on a typewriter. So they were too oh, late sure. to go back and retype the whole scene. So they said, I ah, will just have them come in and say one more thing. And then they typed the added scene. That's the only reason how that started. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. So many happy little accidents. I know. And Bob Ross painting. Crazy. <laughs> uh, number nine, season three, episode three, Candidate for Crime. This is Jackie Cooper, who's an old school actor. He's a politician. He's having a miss. He has an affair. And uh, his campaign manager tells him, hey, knock off banging that young lady. You know, you're a married uh, candidate. You can't be banging the young uh, lady there when you're going to get uh, – is he running for mayor or governor or senate? I can't remember. He's running for something. Yeah, something like that. Um, what a quaint time where that was actually an issue. Yeah, I know. Nowadays, <laughs> you get bonus points if you're banging the ladies inside. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he says, all right, uh, all right, yeah, I'll break it off with her. But actually, he uh, he kills his campaign manager and because uh, he wants to keep getting that sweet, sweet uh, secretary that he's getting. So uh, – uh, he tries to cover it up by saying that they had switched clothing. So his idea is to make it seem like someone's trying to assassinate him, and they accidentally assassinated their, his campaign manager. So at the end, he tries to pull fast on Columbo. Columbo's like, oh, no, no. He tries to say that someone shot at him in an office at their campaign headquarters when they're about to celebrate his victory. He's like, hey, someone tried to take a shot at me through the window there. And uh, Columbus says, eh, not so fast there, Jackie Cooper. And uh, <laughs> this scene comes out. I didn't know what the hell you were doing here. I knew you weren't making a call. And I confess I got curious. And when you and your wife, when you went to vote, I took advantage of that opportunity to come in here and look around. And I found that bullet hole in the glass door, and that took me to the wall. I dug this bullet out of that wall three hours before you said that somebody fired it at you three minutes ago. I love the music and that. Those music things are, yeah, they're great. <laughs> so great. You're under arrest. <laughs> so intense. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Uh, n- uh, number yeah, eight. that was a good one. I remember, like, there was the whole thing where, like, the guy was supposed to be doing, like, a TV spot or whatever, and, like, Columbo's just interviewing the wife, and he's just all distracted. Yeah. <laughs> trying to overhear what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah he's talking one. about his watch, because the key clue was he thought the campaign manager wouldn't have a fancy watch, because, uh, he they, he smashed the watch to show what time it was so that he would have an alibi, but it wasn't the guy's watch because mm. he would have a durable watch. And Columbo's like, no, he would have a watch like this, and he's banging it against the pole. <laughs> like, it's making all kind of noise. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to film that political spot or whatever. But, uh, all right, so number eight, season three, episode seven, Swan Song with Johnny Cash. Lord help me, I love the Johnny Cash. And uh, this is also directed by Nick Colasanto, uh, coach from Cheers. Um, Johnny Cash murders his wife because uh, she's a real battle axe, his wife. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she was. He, he's a, a country singer, gospel singer. He's a real famous. He's basically he's Johnny Cash. 
and uh, and he's also having an affair with a young. <laughs> he was like a reformed old... criminal, I think, right? Who became like I... a gospel singer. Well, um, that's possibly. All a... I saw the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Uh, I thought I had a clip of that. Fuck. <laughs> I I thought I had a clip of all. Uh, I saw the light because because they play that song a lot and I fucking love it. But uh, I don't. Uh, sure did. I don't have it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, Johnny Cash. He uh, he's also having an affair. He, he likes to run around with sixteen-year-old girls, apparently. Not Johnny Cash. So uh, his Uh-oh. wife is telling him he's got to knock that off too. And he's like, I'm not knocking that off. I like having the sex with a sixteen-year-old girl. <laughs> I so knock he, you uh, off. <laughs> so they they're out there taking a plane trip to uh, one of their shows. But he drugs the wife, and uh, he uh, he's the pilot of the plane there. And then he jumps out with a homemade parachute. He breaks his leg, but uh, so he makes it seem like he, he was in the crash, and he's the only one who survived the crash. But uh, obviously, there's some logistical problems there with where the plane would crash and where he would land with the broken yeah. leg and the parachute, and how they could make it all work. But mm-hmm. don't get caught up in the details. All right, so here's a clip of. Uh, maybe, <laughs> I do have a clip. Maybe the clip of this is just. Uh, no, I think this is the clip where Columbo catches him because they, he finds he had hidden the parachute in an old log. And Columbo tricks him to go find the parachute again, and uh, this is he catches Johnny Cash. So here we go. Aren't you afraid being up here alone with a killer? No, sir. No, sir, I had the feeling that sooner or later. Sooner or later, you would have confessed even if I hadn't caught you. Yeah, you're right, Lieutenant, I would have. Because it was getting to me, and I'm glad it's over. Listen. Any man that can sing like that can't be old, Mason. Yeah. Johnny Cash can't be old, man. (laughs) I remember that song was such a hit that they played it, like, multiple times at one concert. (laughs) I loved it. Hey. That was actual. That was actual concert footage of Johnny Cash. Like um, they were supposed to do a filming of him as the character performing, and there was a scheduling conflict with like uh, Cash's management. Like they said, they were going to run out of time. So Johnny Cash, not wanting to cause trouble, out of his own pocket, he paid for a uh, production crew to follow him and film him in concert, and then he came back and gave the footage to them to use in the show. What yeah, a guy, Johnny that. Cash. Yeah, hell of a guy. Yeah. Um, Didn't want to hold up production yeah. like Peter Falk does all the time. <laughs> yeah, Falk never would have did that. No, uh, but I, I love that episode because <laughs> it's Johnny Cash, and it's great. All right, uh, number seven, season four, episode four, Troubled Waters. This is Robert Vaughn. It's on a cruise ship. Columbo's wife wins a cruise trip uh, at a, at a uh, church raffle or something. So uh, they're on a cruise ship together, but you never see his wife because he's always misplacing her. You can't find her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, yeah. It's, that's one of the more awkward aspects of this one. But it's it's so awesome. Uh, Dean Stockwell's in this one again. Uh, he plays a band member who is framed for murdering the lounge singer who is smoking hot. And we'll talk about her later. And uh, Robert Vaughn's mm-hmm. actually the killer because he was having an affair with his lady as well. And uh, Columbo catches him because he uh, he catches him with his fingerprints, but because of the, he used a latex glove to uh, do the killing, and he gets the fingerprints on the inside of the glove. That's how he catches him. And it's uh, really yeah. great. That and I good. think I think I have a clip uh, from this. Maybe I don't. Um, 
Yeah, I'm looking through the list here. Jackie Camper. Oh, I saw the light. I do have a clip of I saw the light, but it's, I'll play it at the end of the episode. <laughs> well, I won't because the switchboard will be dead. Next week, <laughs> we'll play true. the two-minute version of I saw the light at the end of the episode. Um, <laughs> Mostly just yeah, I, I guess, saw the light for most of the two minutes. I don't have a clip of this show. I, I wish uh, I had the clip of uh, the, the lounge singer singing Valare. Kills it. Valare. <laughs> Uh, All right, uh, number six, season three, episode four, Double Exposure, Robert Culp. This is my favorite Robert Culp episode. Uh, He is a uh, guy who does subliminal cuts into films. Yeah. He he kills, like, the one guy. Because he he was doing something where he was uh, setting up these influential people with hot ladies and blackmailing them, and he kills a fella. And subliminal cuts into the screen, into the film they were screening. So the guy would come get a drink mm-hmm. of water because he also filled him up with salty caviar and stuff. <laughs> so he comes out to get a drink of water, <laughs> and that's when he shoots him. And uh, Columbo eventually catches him, and it's pretty great. Yeah. And one of I the many this... episodes where like the whole thing kind of hinged on like uh, you know when the reels changed of the film strip. <laughs> yes, that that also came into play in uh, Make Me a Perfect Murder with the lady executive. Uh, so, Columbo yeah. and Bob Culp, I think this is audio clip oh, from this episode. Uh, one other thing. In regard to your practice of recording people's comments after the screening, what is that, like a question and answer period? I mean, the people in the audience, they raise their hands and they ask questions, and you stand up there on the stage and you answer them? No, usually we meet in the lobby. Um, we discuss the film there, and I record their comments. Uh, that's all. Oh, you do it in the lobby? Yes. Oh, fine. Gee, now that's peculiar. What is peculiar? No, it's peculiar that you would walk into the lobby. I see a man that was lying on the floor. He just got shot in the middle of all that excitement. Turn on the tape recorder. Well, did it occur to you that I might have turned the tape recorder on before I went into the lobby, before I ever saw the body? As a matter of fact, I think I turned it on directly after the screening. But I explained. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's a classic Columbo there. You got a one more thing at the beginning, and then uh, well, that's peculiar. You turn it on. <laughs> he he always drops his little his little seed there to turn the screw. Mm-hmm. Just to let them know. Yeah, I'm on. He always kind of lets them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the story's not yeah. adding up, but I can't call you on it just yet. The old cat and mouse, uh, and, and apparently uh, Robert Culp was a bit of a dick as well, from what I hear. I don't know. But, hmm. uh, okay, do. I'm buy that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, number five, uh, season four, episode one, an exercise in fatality. We mentioned it earlier, having that great scene at the computer place. Uh, this was Robert Conrad, good old Bob Conrad, mm-hmm. and like a uh, exercise guru who was embezzling money and overcharging. <laughs> like a Jack Lane, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like Jack Lane. He's, supp- he's supposed to be like 58 years old in the original script, uh, but they hired Bob Conrad, uh, so eventually they made him 53. Uh, but Bob Conrad at the time was 39. Oh, younger than Columbo by that point. Yeah, because uh, Peter Falk was like 48 at the time. I think. So, uh, but <laughs> Bob Conrad's in great shape here. He's very fit and he's running around doing all this. Yeah, because he's 39. You know, he's not 53. <laughs> oh, he's looking so good. Um, but uh, it's it's a great uh, juxtaposition between Columbo, the old guy, not the old guy, but the the unathletic uh, cigar smoking Columbo, and the super fit. Uh, guy uh, Bob Conrad 
And I love this episode. Again, the, the deciding clue is how he tied the shoes. Cause oh, he yeah. Them. Yep. That was he a good got, one. Because <laughs> the, the <laughs> uh, shoelaces are tied like a right-handed person. And, but the guy wanted to have done it. But apparently, if you pay attention, it, uh, it looks like throughout the episode, Milo Janis, the Bob Connor character, is actually left-handed. So that would kind of undercut the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like they could have written around that just by, you know, having it. <laughs> I think. I think. Be the way that I, that's person that's would what do I hear. It. I haven't confirmed that, but that's what I hear. Because uh, I haven't gone back and watched. <laughs> but I never noticed, at least, when I was watching. Um, uh, here's a clip, though. You can get a sense. I love the scene where he's drinking the carrot juice and he's trying to get the sand out of his shoe. And there's a lot of great stuff in here. But uh, here's Bob Conrad in Columbus. There's only one conclusion. Mr. Stafford did not put on his own sneakers. Somebody else did. And that somebody was you. You changed his clothes. Now, you wait a minute, Lieutenant. I'll tell you something. Your little demonstration proves one thing and one thing only. That somebody else put on Stafford's gym shoes. But the fact remains, you can't prove that I did it. It could have been anybody. It could only be you. By your own admission, it had to be you. Mr. Stafford was last seen around 7.30 wearing his business clothes. Now he's alone in the building. The building is locked. And the next morning, he's found dead in his gym clothes. And at 9 o'clock the previous evening, Nine hours before the body was found, you and you alone knew that he was in his gym clothes. You said so. You swore to it in front of five witnesses. How did you know he was in his gym clothes if you didn't change the clothes? Try to contrive a perfect alibi, sir. And it's your perfect alibi that's going to hang you. Yeah, again with the little music coming in. <laughs> Ding! Like yeah. Uh, hey, Cop, <laughs> Love this episode. I, I got to hustle, though, for these top ones. So we get all Dynamite looking lady in that one, too. Yeah, we'll talk Probably about her number later. three lady. We'll talk oh, about good. her later. All right, uh, number uh, four, negative reaction, Dick Van Dyke, season four, uh, episode two. He's a photographer who murders his old battle axe of a woman because oh, he's having an affair yeah. with a young lady. <laughs> and uh, Columbo, oh, I love this, Vito Scotty's in this one. Uh, Joyce Van Patten's in this. She plays a nun at a, uh, um, you know, uh, like a, what the fuck's what looking for? A soup kitchen or whatever. Kind of? Uh, oh. <laughs> well, no, she thinks Columbo. Yeah, is like oh, a, a yeah, bump. she thinks Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This episode's awesome. great. Larry Stork, <laughs> Agarn from F Troop is at the end of this. He's a driving instructor. Columbo has to interview, and he's all mad at Columbo driving because he's a terrible driver, and he's in that car, and it's, uh, it's great. Um, yeah, I, I love this episode. And at the end, uh, he catches Dick Van Dyke by doing some uh, – I think I have the clip here of him tricking him. So uh, here we go. What is this? A clumsy attempt to frame me with false evidence? Oh, no, sir. No, I wouldn't do that. No, I'm afraid this is the picture. And there's been no mistake. I'll testify to that. Sergeant Hoffman, would you read Mr. Gillespie his rights? Hold it. Hold it, Lieutenant, before you do something you'll regret. I hate to disappoint you, but you have proof of my innocence despite your clumsiness. Sir? We don't need the original snapshot. The negative will serve the same purpose. 
Look at that negative in the back of the camera, Lieutenant. It proves I'm right. Were you a witness to what he just did? Yes, Lieutenant. Were you a witness to what he just did? Yes, sir. Were you a witness to what he just did? Yes, I am, sir. Witness to what? You just incriminated yourself, sir. You've identified the camera. That's right, sir. That's what you did. You see, you didn't pick out this one or this one or this one. You didn't touch any of these 12 cameras. You picked that one. Yes, this is the camera that was used to take your wife's picture. But you would have no way of knowing that. Or of knowing that this negative was in the back of this particular camera unless you'd taken the picture yourself. Yeah, there you go. I guess it's done. I thought there was more to that clip. <laughs> okay. But it's done. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he picked out the camera, and he, uh, he screwed yeah. himself up. Great episode. Great episode. Good. Uh, definitely one of the better entrapments. Yeah, he, he tricked yeah, me good in that one. Yeah, entrapment, but what can you do? Yep. Uh, number three, season <laughs> but five. But I got witnesses, five. so that, that's fine. Now you see him, Jack Cassidy. He's a magician. Ooh. This is the best Jack Cassidy. And uh, he's also a former yeah. Nazi. And the guy who owns the club is going to uh, expose the fact that he's a former Nazi. So uh, he has to kill him. And uh, Columbo catches him. There's so many great scenes in this. And one where he brings Columbo up on stage. And Columbo oh. says, I got a little trick for you. And he gives him handcuffs. And he says, I, do you think you can get out of these handcuffs? And uh, he's on stage, so the great Santini has to do it. And, uh, but Columbo needs to prove that he can get out of handcuffs because it, it's integral to proving that he did the murder. Because his alibi is that he was handcuffed in a uh, underwater tank or all this shit. So he wanted to prove that he can get out of handcuffs. And uh, so, yeah, it's a great scene. And then there's uh, this ending uh, where he catches him is pretty good. So let's play that real quick. Um, the great Santini, where the hell did I put this? Yeah, this is tough. All right, here we go. Department of Immigration and Naturalization, Washington, D.C. In close, find a letter which proves that Santini is in reality an ex-Nazi named Stefan Mueller. I don't think there's any need for me to go any further, is there, sir? No. Means opportunity motive. And I thought I'd perform the perfect murder. Perfect murder, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. There is no such thing as a perfect murder. That's just an illusion. Oh, man. What a zinger by Columbo there, huh? <laughs> yeah. He got him good. <laughs> this episode is also great. They have uh, John Wilson, a young, uh, uh, not a younger sidekick for him. And uh, he, uh, Mrs. Columbo gives him a new raincoat, so it's a, a bright brown. Oh yeah, raincoat. yeah. And Columbo <laughs> hates it for Christmas or whatever. <laughs> he's he leaving the raincoat. <laughs> yeah, and because he can't think when he's wearing it, so he's always trying to lose it on purpose. And the young uh, sidekick always keeps <laughs> finding it. So here's your raincoat, sir. And he's like, Ah, oh, fuck, I need that raincoat. Yep. And it, there's a scene with dog. He leaves the raincoat in the dog in the car with dog, and he's like, "Hey, if someone comes along and steals his raincoat, you look the other way." <laughs> so, <pretty good. laughs> 
All right, number two. I think the uh, the big lip guy, the weird looking guy from Rocky, is is like the magic shop owner in that one too. I think. Oh, I don't know. Well, I think that's an actual <laughs> magic guy. Like he's a famous magician kind of guy that runs that shop. I oh, think really? Real life, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, number two, season two, episode one, uh, Etude in Black, John Cassavetes, uh, directed by Nick Colasanto. Uh, uh, the reason I love this one so much, a lot of people complain about it's too padded because this is the first of the two-hour shows, so they have a lot of padded scenes in here. But anytime Cassavetes and Peter Falk are great friends, and anytime Cassavetes is on screen with Peter Falk, it is dynamite. They have the best exchanges hmm. between a murder and a killer in the entire run of the series. And Peter Falk is at his most manipulative best in this. He, there's a scene where uh, he goes to Cassavetti because Cassavetti's again, he murders his mistress, so he doesn't, you know, get exposed as a cheater and loses his family uh, fortune or whatever. So because uh, his wife is rich, so uh, um, his wife is played by Blythe Danner, by the way, the mom of Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, oh, but right, every scene right. they're in together is so great. And there's the scene in this one where he looks at the key clue on the ground as a carnation, and it's in his his glasses. Um, <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, but I love this. I love their interactions. Um, this is also the first episode where Dog ever appeared, so that's great for that. Oh, okay. Um, yep. But here, here's a good clip of uh, Colombo and Cassavetes uh, exchanging uh, little barbs and whatnot. If I can find it. Uh, this is where it all falls apart. I know, this is cutting in there, because it's going to be close. It should be close uh, together, right? Yeah, but I spelled Cassavetti's wrong. But all right, here we go. <laughs> well, let me see if I can understand what you're saying. You're suggesting that the paper was typed, taken out, and then put back. That's right. Now, here's the problem with that theory. Why would a woman who's going to commit suicide type a goodbye note Put it in the machine and take it out again. I don't know. All right. Suppose she didn't type it. Suppose somebody else typed it. All right, who? Who did it? Whoever murdered her. <laughs> you know, Lieutenant, you're really a cocky fellow. You're very sure of this, aren't you? I think that there is a very distinct possibility of murder in this case, yes. I think there's a possibility, but I don't think it's distinct. Suppose the murderer in this case was a friend of hers. Suppose the murderer in this case was a man who had access to her house, came and went whenever he wanted to, typed up that letter beforehand when she wasn't around. Promise me you'll think about it. When you come up with the correct answer, you'll let me know. I'm going to take a nap now. Will you excuse me? Suppose it was you. I heard you say something, but I wasn't sure what I you said. I said suppose it was you. I'm not saying it was you, sir. No, I was just thinking out loud. You know you're an audacious fellow. You see, I have a theory, and I would like to use you as an example. If you don't oh, mind. Oh, please, use me as your example. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but that whole episode is <laughs> full of stuff like that. And there's also a scene where him and Blake Danner, Peter Falk and Blake Danner, where he lets it uh, slip that up. Uh, he, he thinks uh, the, the victim was having an affair with someone, and he knows, you know, he, he's trying to plant that seed in the wife so she gets mad. Yeah. It, it's so manipulative and just sneaky, and it's awesome. All right. I think you like it uh, because he was going to go take a nap. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I can relate to this. 
<laughs> my personal favorite episode is season one, episode four, Suitable for Framing, starring Ross Martin as the killer from Wild Wild West, old Ross Martin. And uh, he's like uh, an art critic, and his uncle has a big art collection, and he finds out he's not going to leave it to him, so he murders his uncle but frames the uncle's ex-wife so that he hmm. um, will inherit the art collection eventually. Um, the way It's a lot going on. But the what, reason, Ross Martin is great. He's super cocky and arrogant and uh, fancy. Uh, Vic Tabak is also in this, male from Mel's Diner. He's a really big part as an artist. Um, but uh, the key clue in this is he catches him with fingerprints, but not the killer's fingerprints, but Columbo's fingerprints. And uh, this um. has the best gotcha moment in the entire series. Uh, we'll play the audio, and then I'll explain it. But, um, okay. Here we go. If I can find it, don't. This is convicted. You're the next in line. Everything goes to you. That's why you planted the gun. And that's why you planted the wrapping paper. And that's why you planted these paintings. Teo. I can't believe it. Oh, but you'd like to, wouldn't you? Get you right off the hook. All right, Lieutenant. You claim that I planted these paintings? Suppose you prove it. Can we? Yeah. Yeah. With fingerprints. Uh, sorry to disappoint you, Lieutenant. Fingerprints won't help you at all. My fingerprints are all over those paintings. My uncle and I unwrapped them when they came back from the exhibit. I told you, didn't I? I told you myself. They're covered with my prints. No. We're not looking for your prints. What? Do you remember the time that I was in your apartment and you came in with some paintings? And you said that they were watercolors and you wanted to evaluate them. And remember, I wanted to see them and you wouldn't let me. And I even touched them. You touched Yes, my fingerprints are on those paintings. Now, if Mrs. Matthews is guilty, how could my fingerprints get on paintings that she stole? Uh, this is entrapment. It's a setup, that's all. You, you, you touched those paintings just now while I wasn't looking. You saw him do it, didn't you? You put your prints on those paintings while you were bent over watching them when they were working on it. He touched them. You touched, you... <laughs> yeah, again, the music comes in there great. <laughs> Uh, so when he's saying you touch him, you touch him, Falk takes his hands out of his pockets and he's wearing gloves. And that's how the episode ends. <laughs> no more words are yeah. spoken. He just holds up his hands in gloves. And there it is. So his fingerprint's going to be on the paintings. Uh, oh, it's so good. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> and I guess uh, Ross Martin, uh, he was, when Peter Falk was a kid, he went to summer camp. And there was a drama class or something. And he took the drama class. And the, the, the uh, camp counselor for the drama class was Ross Martin. Isn't that weird? Hmm. And then all these years later, wow. they're in Colombo together. <laughs> did he? Yeah. Did he like get him the job or just no? I don't. I don't think. I think it was just a <laughs> random coincidence situation. That is nuts. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love that episode. Hmm. So there it is. There's my top sixty-nine Colombo episodes. We made it, Jank. We got to the final of the list. Uh, wow, that was something. We did. Um, just under the wire. Week we'll, <laughs> next week we'll do a top seventy Alf episodes can't wait <laughs> but uh, uh what would be your top episode jack 
Uh, it's hard to say. Um, honestly, the Carcini one's up there. Um, and that that great Santini one also also very good. Um, suitable for framing definitely would not be my number one. I don't remember disliking it, but I don't know. It doesn't stick with it. me as much as a lot of the other ones. Were. I've watched it so many times. It's the one I've watched the most. Uh, it just goes wow. down so smooth. It is so uh, quick. <laughs> it just goes. It feels like it's twenty minutes. It just goes down so quick. Uh, big fan of it. Um, so yeah. I'll have to watch that one again. That was really early on. But again, like Ross Martin is like a perfect uh, Columbo foil because he's pompous and arrogant and yeah, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Weird looking bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and he also kills uh, the late little, uh, his assistant and the little lady he was having an affair with as well. Uh, all these ladies are having <laughs> yeah. affairs. I was like when, uh, yeah, like they, they do a first murder and then somebody finds out about it and they got to like, kill that person too. Well, that's, that's usually the one that gets them caught. That's a hallmark <laughs> of all mystery plotting in the uh, four-act mystery structure. Usually you get a second body at some point. Mm-hmm. Like if you go back and read the first Columbo you'll, or the first Churchville, you'll see there's a second body in there right where you need to be and stuff like that. I, I, I went away from it in the second Churchfield. I made you think there was going to be a second body and then there wasn't. I did a little switch around. Oh, uh, look at you. Yeah. Getting so, clever. <laughs> all right. Uh, we got a couple minutes left. You have 13 minutes left. <laughs> because we're into the... We're into For 11 the over, ladies. Over time, yeah. So, top 11 Columbo ladies. <laughs> Number 11, Leslie Ann Warren, A Deadly State of Mind. That was uh, George Hamilton's lady who he uh, get to convince us to jump off the building and kill herself. He hypnotizes her. Oh, Yeah. Because uh, there's a scene where she's wearing this very uh, slinky purple dress. And I really like that scene because <laughs> Leslie Ann Warren. For those who don't remember Leslie Ann Warren, she was also uh, Miss Scarlet in uh, Clue. Oh, Clue. Favorite yeah. Clue. Yeah. Number 10, Anjanette Comer in Etude in Black. She was the mistress that uh, John Cassavetes murdered. She uh, was playing the piano, and he set it up like a gas leak from her stove that it was suicide. Remember this? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to look up pictures of her right now. Yeah, she was fucking... I definitely have a memory. type. I definitely have a type when you look <laughs> through this list. Brunettes, yeah, uh, fuck she... brunettes. I have a type, yeah. Uh, number she's nine, okay. uh, exercise and fatality, Gretchen Corbett. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, this would be, you said she'd be your number she three. She should be way but higher, yeah. I like her, but come on, <laughs> I, I have a tell you, you know, there's certain things I like, and she doesn't have this thing, but she's a foxy lady. And she's in, uh, she's smaller chested as well, is what I'm trying to get at. But she's in, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. exercise <laughs> and fatality, she is uh, in a bikini in one scene. She was smoking hot in that bikini. Oh, yeah, she did. This lady, she also went on to be a regular on Rockford Files, so you should watch Rockford Files. Okay. okay. Um, also, she was in a very famous episode of Cheers, uh, the one where Di- Sam sets Diane up on a blind <laughs> date with Andy Andy, the, the killer, and uh, she, she played the lady that Diane set Sam up with. Um, but yeah, so mm-hmm. the, one of the best Cheers episodes. Uh, number eight, Tisha Sterling, candidate for crime. She was the mistress for Jackie Cooper um, that he was having the affair with, uh, the young uh, political assistant to Jackie Cooper, you know. Um, okay. Her, 
Her mother is Ann Southern, who was a famous actress back in the day. Um, but uh, old Tisha Sterling, that's about all I know of her. Uh, number seven, Joyce Jilson, any old port in a storm. She's the smoking hot blonde who uh, her her fiance was the one that Carcini murdered, had the brother who died. Uh, she was the fiance. Ooh. She's the one who reaches yeah, off the to Yeah, she shows up at Columbo's office to get him to investigate the murder. And uh, she was also in that movie Super Chick that Tuffy and I watched. You were not here. Oh, that movie. no. But yeah, she she was the go back Super and watch Chick that. in Super Chick. Yeah, so Joyce Jilson. Nice. I know Tuffy loves yeah, her. Yeah, looking so good. Pretty happy to see her on here. Uh, number six, Joanna Cameron from Negative Reaction. She's the young lady that Dick Van Dyke was having the affair with. Um, <laughs> Joanna Cameron. All the mistresses are getting it done. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I like her. She was actually uh, the first female superhero lead on TV. She played uh, the Secrets of Isis, I think it was called. Uh, like oh, okay. Theme superhero like it was a couple yeah. years before wonder woman she was isis and then she also at the time in the early 80s she had the record for like most the guinness book record for most television commercial appearances she was in the most Whoa. tv commercial network commercials i guess uh but she was very famous smoking hot yeah she's spectacular uh, oh, yeah man. great legs uh Jerry cameron awesome uh number five <laughs> we can agree on this one Number five, Trisha Noble from Playback. She's the lady at the art gallery with uh, Oscar Werner in Playback. She's wearing a low-cut mm-hmm. dress, and again, you can see why I like her. And apparently, uh, the casting or the producer of that episode of Columbo, he saw her at a party wearing that exact dress and says, "Guess what? You're hired to be on Columbo wearing that dress." And that's <laughs> just, uh, but when she was young, she's about the only good thing in that episode. Yeah, she was like a pop star in Australia when she was young, like 13, 14 years old. And then she came to the United States, and she became an actress. She was in a bunch of stuff. She was actually in uh, Larry's Beloved Private Eyes with Don Knotts and uh, Tim Conway. She played like the main lady in uh, Private Eyes, and she looks really good in that as well. So that's Trisha Noble. Okay. Uh, number four, Trish Vandeveer from Make Me a Perfect Murder. She's the lady executive. Uh, I don't know. I like this lady a lot. She reminds me oh, of uh, I don't remember her Nanny. being that good looking. Oh, yeah, no. She's a very good looking lady. Uh, she's a woman. She's a grown-ass woman. You know what I'm saying? She's a very, <laughs> I like her a lot. Uh, she was actually married oh, to Jules no. C. That hair she is woof. Oh, it's classic 70s hair, though. It's, it's great. <laughs> uh, she was married she was like to Jules she was married to George C. Scott. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. But he's like 20 <laughs> that's years old. That's not what I would call a good-looking man oh, no, married great. to George C. Look Scott. Look at those eyes, <laughs> the cheekbones. Oh, she's a beautiful woman. Uh, Trish Vandeveer. <laughs> Number three, Troubled Waters. Poopy Bocar. That's right. Her name is Poopy. Her first <laughs> name is Poopy. She was the lounge singer. <laughs> she was the one who was singing uh, Valare. I guess uh, she's not, she was born in San Diego, but uh, Poopy, uh, P-O-U-P-E-E, and there's a little line over it, but it's pronounced Poopy. I guess in France, uh, in French, it means a doll. So, uh, doll. Uh, <laughs> but she is a bombshell of a lady. something very different here. She might want to look that up. Maybe she kinda looks, think about changing it. She kind of looks like uh, Sophia Loren a little bit. And also, uh, she was in two episodes of Get Smart. So she has a uh, nice place in my heart for being and get smart. Poopy Bocar. <laughs> Poopy. Uh, number two <laughs> from, from Double Shock, 
uh, Julie Newmar. Let's not overthink it. It's Julie Newmar. You know, I don't think she looked her best in this episode, Fair. but yeah. it's Julie Newmar. It's not Catwoman, you know? Julie Newmar. But no, yeah. no, no. But still, don't overthink it. And my favorite of all the Columbo ladies, from Now You See Him, she played the daughter of the great Santini, Jack Cassidy, Cynthia Sykes. She was uh, his assistant on the magic show. So she was wearing that yellow sequence little outfit, and she was always on stage with him and stuff. Uh, remember that, Cynthia Sykes? Yeah, I'm trying to uh, she look went, up. She went on to be on uh, St. Elsewhere, and then she married some old movie producer guy who was like, a, I don't know, 20 years older than her. But they brought back Blade Runner, and she was responsible for Blade Runner 2049 made. Like, she was the producer. Oh. She made that happen. So, yeah. So that was a good movie. Yeah, I always liked her uh, for being a little magician. I have a thing for magician's assistants as well, Jake. I always thought, <laughs> yeah, maybe if I ever fair. have a little extra, if I ever had a little extra money, I would just hire a magician's assistant to follow me around. You know, like you know, just, I'm not doing <laughs> tricks, but you can just eventually dress up I'll like do that. a magic trick. You know, <laughs> maybe <laughs> but, yeah, hire you, hire you for the day, follow me around, say ta-da <laughs> a few times, it'll be great. Wear a little yellow outfit. Yeah. <laughs> So those are my top 11 Colombo ladies. Um, could, could be some more honorable mentions. There's a lot of good-looking women on Colombo. Let's not kid ourselves. There was a <laughs> yeah. lot. Like, that list could have went 30 deep. Easy. Especially if I went into the <laughs> That could have been a so. top 69. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, man, I, I like them all. All those on my list, are, uh, I love them all. All right. Um, Jank, you mentioned Gretchen Corbett. We remember your three. You like the lady from Columbo Loves the Nightlife. Uh, who else did you like? Yeah. Did anyone else stick out to you? Oh, I think I think we mentioned the ones that I remember, you know, being a big fan of. Um, those two ladies from Gretchen or uh, Columbo Loves the Nightlife. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I forgot two, the other one, the rave lady. Yeah, a <laughs> yeah, little rave girl. Yeah. I don't remember her at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's cute. Yeah. So you like the cute young looking one? I like the grown ass women. I like the, uh, actually, I'm an old man. I like the, the ladies who are older. Yeah. Um, but uh, there you go. There's the top 11 Columbo ladies. All right, we have like four minutes to talk about the chief detective. Right. So Where to this begin? Was, this was Neil Simon. Uh, a couple years earlier, they had done uh, Murder by Death, which was a parody of all the famous uh, mystery sleuths and stuff. Um, like uh, Hercules Perot, uh, the Agatha Christie lady, Miss uh, Marple or whatever. Uh, Peter Falk was in that one. He played like Sam Spade ripoff. Um, and it was it was a funny <laughs> Pretty movie. much doing that I again remember, here. <laughs> yeah, but a different character, though, which is weird. It was a different character. I don't know why they did it. But huh. uh, yeah, he, was, like, he was a Sam Spade ripoff in that one, but he's still Sam Spade ripoff. But yeah, anyway. But uh, so that movie was good. I remember when I was a kid, I watched it. The ending's terrible, but it was a funny movie. So then a couple years later, they have the same people, Neil Simon, and basically the same people do uh, this movie, Cheap Detective. Now Peter Falk is playing Lou Peckinpah, who is between Sam Spade and Rick Blaine from Casablanca. So they're mixing the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. They're also mixing in some other Bogart movies, like with Lauren Bacall and stuff. It's kind of a mess in the early going. Like, I, I yeah. actually uh, <laughs> I messaged you... I was watching it Wednesday night, and I messaged you, and I said, hey, we might need to pick something else because this movie's kind of a mess, and the, com- the humor's pretty lame, like 70s era, like obvious humor lame. I was like, we might need to pick yeah. something else. But then I, no I messaged airplane. you back, and I, said, and I said, all right, it rallied, because I think it does get better in the second half, and Peter Falk is fine in it. Uh, 
but it's not very good. Uh, skip the first 30 minutes and just watch it from the second half, and I think it'll be okay. Because <laughs> they're just trying to do too much with merging all the Yeah, movies. they keep adding characters. Like, yeah. <laughs> so many characters and so many different plot lines going on at one time. And, and like the first 20 minutes or so, Peter Falk's not even in it that much because they're setting up all these characters and shit. And then uh, once they get uh, Peter Falk in it more and um, – there are a bunch of ladies in it. Madeline Kahn's in it. I love Madeline Kahn. Yeah. I'm a big fan of her. Uh, Eileen Brennan. is definitely a sex symbol in here. He's getting it done with everyone. Yeah, Eileen Brennan's in it. Stalker Channing's in it. Uh, I found out Stalker Channing was almost Lois Lane in the first Superman movie. It came down between her and Margot Whoa. Kidder. And Margot Kidder went on. Um, uh, who else was in here? Uh, oh, Anne Margaret looks smoking hot in this movie. She plays that oh, old yeah, guy. Oh, good. Oh, my God. She looks so good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's a couple other people. Um, but I, I liked when all... There's Abe Vigoda. Yeah, Abe Vigoda, Vic Tabak. The, the cast is crazy. Um, there's a scene where Falk's in his apartment and all the ladies are there and he's trying to juggle all the different ladies in different rooms without them knowing about each other. I thought that's when the movie came together and it was like working from that point on. That was a funny scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She dr- uh, the one lady drops the ashes of her dead husband on the toilet. That's a good scene. And then she accidentally shoots him at the <laughs> toilet. Like, oh, my God. Him, yeah. We shot him. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, but overall. He's beyond caring again, about that now. Uh, the ending, Peter Falk uh, goes away with all the ladies. He gets them all. They're going to have like a six-way. So that's pretty well, good. Well, except for good the one who goes to jail. But yeah, <laughs> other than her, yeah. He gets but them all. Uh, he has a secretary step in. So, yeah. So he, he gets everyone else. Um, so it's it's kind of good. I'd give it like a five on a on a real movie scale, you know, like a five or six. Like it's it gets good yeah. if you stick with it, but the beginning's rough. It's real rough. I'd say a five is about right. It's definitely not the worst thing we've seen by far, but it, I also don't know who I would recommend this to. Like, oh, you're gonna yeah. love this. Like, no, I, I wouldn't I recommend it. But murder <laughs> murder by death is better. Like I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I remember that being funny. So I would, we that's not available to watch anywhere without paying money for it. I almost wanted to oh, watch damn. a movie he was in called uh, uh, "For All the Marbles," where Peter Falk manages a team of lady wrestlers, professional re- lady wrestlers in the for the <laughs> oh. But we would have had to pay good. three dollars to watch it, and I was like, ah, I don't want to spend three dollars. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the man's uh, done so much. 